Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Primal Podcast and to an episode that I have been pumped to release. Anyone who knows me knows that I have a bit of an interest in personal growth and development, and I'm always looking for ways to dive into the human psyche to find out what makes us tick, to explore our fears, our motivations, and what makes us live the life that we live. The man I speak to today has dedicated his life to helping people like me and you take that journey deeper down within ourselves, looking for the answers that can help us enrich and enhance our own lives, deal with trauma, or improve the way we feel and the way we think about ourselves and our relationship with the world. My guest today is Dara Stewart, and his self-proclaimed mission is to bridge the worlds of science and spirituality to allow us to unfold our authentic selves. Dara has a background in natural science and holds a PhD in plant developmental genetics from Trinity. And over the last year, multiple different people have recommended that I follow Dara's work. I was particularly looking forward to having Dara on to discuss his expertise and his knowledge surrounding psychedelics because it's a topic that's really growing in popularity at the moment and something that I'm personally very interested in. But in this episode, as well as discussing the theories and sciences behind psychedelics, we also cover topics like men and women's health, sexuality, group circles, science, spirituality, and much, much more. It was a really, really beautiful and enjoyable episode, and I definitely learned a huge amount. I hope you enjoy this show. Welcome to our shared journey to find the answers to questions about health, wellness, nutrition, performance, life, and success and to craft the most resilient, hardy, and happy humans you've ever seen. Welcome to the Primal Podcast. Mr. Dara Stewart. Hello, how are you? Very good, thank you. Thank you very much, first of all, for coming down and agreeing to do this podcast. As I said, when you walked in, I'm really, really excited about this one. Been looking forward to it for a long time. <laughs> um, and I think I, I mentioned to you as well before we started here, you, your, not your name, but your person had been mentioned to me for probably about a year now from several different circles, seven different people were all telling me about this guy. Yeah, this guy, <laughs> this guy is amazing. And it was only about two or three months ago I realized everyone has been talking about the same person and it's Mr. Dara Stewart. Uh, so I'm super, super excited to have you on the Primal Podcast. Um, I'm not going to take up too much time at the start because I always find I'm listening back and I'm like, there's five minutes before I let this guy speak. There's a lot we're going to go through today um, and it's going to focus really around things like men's health and sexuality mm-hmm. and, and, and stuff like that. But as I always do at the very start, I'm going to give you an opportunity, if you don't mind, just to introduce yourself. Mm-hmm. Give us a little bit of background mm-hmm. on your super interesting journey and it, it, it really is incredible um, and it'll give us a bit of context for the things we're going to talk about. So, uh, Mr. Dar Stewart. Yeah, thanks and really appreciate you having me on. Um, it's really great to get the... I suppose a message out to people, you know, that I'm trying to carry these days. Um, so I'll start kind of a little bit about myself. So, I, I, you know, it's a story that's always been building for me because the more that I reflect on things, the more I realize uh, who I was and what was going on for me and didn't have the language around it. But I think once you start on this like personal development, spiritual journey, you can you can reflect and then you can understand, oh, God, that's that was what was actually happening to me or you know, I had that attachment style or like I had no boundaries or whatever was going on, you know. So um, I suppose for your listeners, uh, if they don't know me, I think the main thing um, for me was in my early 20s, I yeah, was doing I was doing really well. I was kind of like full power in going for this like academic route um, trying to like prove myself in the world through science. And um, so my background is I'm a scientist 
specialised in uh, plant molecular genetics. Uh, so I did my PhD, uh, my bachelor, postdoc training. But uh, at the start of my PhD, um, it was, you know, a really, really stressful time, um, quite intense, you know, hours-wise and being surrounded with so many intellectuals uh, in Trinity College. Um, and I think I got really kind of like shook for the first time in my life when my grandmother died. Um, and very close to that, or just before she died, I um, was in a breakup with my partner. So we were going out for a, no a good number of years. Um, so those t two kind of things like wobbled me for the first time. And then with the kind of the pressure of the PhD, um, I just really couldn't handle it. So I had a kind of a mental, emotional breakdown, bit of identity crisis with the splitting of my partner, going through a lot of grief with, with the relationship, grief with my grandmother. So I really had, um, yeah, a really, really tough time. You know, I started to like numb myself with like alcohol. <laughs> Lucky I never was into any, you know, hardcore drugs or anything. I was quite uh, straight laced. Um, so I was just trying to make sense of it all. So I had this kind of existential crisis. I was very, very uh, anxious, but I was a highly functioning anxious person. So, you know, I was getting on with it, getting into work. But, you know, I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. I had insomnia. I couldn't sleep at nighttime. I was like cut in the, cu caught in these kind of cycles of, you know, drinking coffee and then, you know, drinking on the weekends and then drinking more coffee to keep me awake. And, you know, caught in this kind of like loops of trying to battle myself and trying to really push myself and ultimately not happy inside. But people always thought I was happy. You know, it's yeah. like that sort of typical mask that people carry is like, I'm doing great. I'm fine. I'm grand. So it kind of came to a point where it was kind of uh, enough was enough. Um, and I think that really happened because I started to suffer a lot with uh, pains in my hips and my legs. And that really got me down. So I started to do um, a lot of physical therapy on, on my body. So massage therapy. And um, I had uh, kind of huge emotional releases through that, through getting that. So I actually trained then as a massage therapist and got quickly introduced to the, the kind of holistic world. Um, meditation, yoga, um, you know, the all, all the alternative stuff like, you know, and this was when I was 24 and people were like, oh, my God, he's gone hippie, you know, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, because, you know, I was a scientist and I was pretty straight laced, you know, um, and uh, was kind of conforming to that sort of identity. But deep down, I always had this need for like something more. I was quite philosophical in my mind and I did enjoy psychology and uh, spirituality. You know, I was raised Catholic. I, you know, did attend mass when I was younger and I enjoyed the ritual of it. But, you know, I think the whole fear and the dogma and how it's been forced on us never really resonated with me. And obviously then when I went to, to Trinity College to become a scientist, I kind of, you know, just completely disregarded all religions. So had the complete pushback, you yeah. know, like I'm an atheist or um, agnostic or whatever. Um, so being involved in that world, then I quickly, um, you know, heard about psychedelics and, um, pe you know, people I knew were really talking about them a lot. So I had some psychedelic experiences that completely, it was like a sledgehammer to my consciousness. <laughs> I love that phrase. You <laughs> yeah. said that earlier, it's class. Yeah, so it's kinda, it was kind of like all my bias, my perspectives on the world, uh, how I viewed myself, how I viewed others. Uh, what I was doing, who I was, was completely uh, blown uh, to smithereens um, with that big hammer. Mm. And 
it was it just gave me this kind of insight into who I was. Um, you know, in the very early days, I did a lot of uh, what I'll call as like self therapy on myself with uh, psychedelics. So a lot of deep introspection, and I was lucky that I was, you know, basically training myself. So as a scientist, I had you know the 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 skills that a PhD gives you to critically think about things, to have discernment, to really get to the root of stuff and to find out what's true and ultimately what is true for me and my own mind. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it really helped that I, I did have that sort of mental uh, framework to be able to really kind of go hardcore at personal development and spirituality um, and to find out what is true for me. Because, you know, people know in that sphere, there's a lot of cowboys. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, and uh, like any, I suppose, like any industry. Um, so I felt I was very fortunate to be able to do a lot of, you know, anal uh, kind of self-authoring or analytical work on myself. And, you know, this was when I was 23, 24 and now 32 last week. So I've been doing it for some time that, you know, doing this work, ultimately my life started to change, you know, and people saw that my life was changing. So, you know, I started to grow my stash, grow my hair long, <laughs> wear colorful clothes. People thought I was losing it, you know, um, but I was having these profound experiences with um, connecting to other individuals on on this on a similar path. So, you know, finding the conscious community, people in spirituality, people in the psychedelic work. And then, you know, obviously other people involved in meditation and yoga and then breath work. And um, so I started to have a lot of lot of experiences. I was ultimately like, you know, chasing it. I was seeking it. I was looking trying to find uh, what I was after, you know. At that time, it was uh, meaning, purpose, ha my happiness, you know. And a lot of that stuff has started to come full circle now for me in the last number of years. And, yeah, in the last number of years then, I feel that, you know, seeing other people as ultimately just a reflection of myself has made me step into the work of trying to help others uh, and be in service and, you know, guide people or mentor people in whatever way I can you know, so trying to be there for people um, when I really needed somebody back then. Now, I had yeah. great support from fr friends and families, but I didn't have people who were, you know, into this kind of sphere of uh, mental health and well-being and spirituality. So, you know, look at, looking at Ireland, I was like, geez, we've no spiritual leaders here in Ireland. Like, if, if I can't think of anybody, you know, and, you know, I wasn't in the circle. So there are, there, you know, I found some over the years, but um Ultimately, like in this country, there's a vacuum now, you know, Catholicism has like, is like crumbling away. People still want some sense of spirituality or purpose or meaning in the world and guidance. And ultimately, I think we're in a really exciting time now that a lot of stuff is starting to plug that gap now, you know, um, and I feel very fortunate to be a part of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair play. That was, what a great description of your of your story. And what's, what, why I'm so excited, let me, mm -hmm. let me explain this, is because... Your story is, it's going to resonate with a lot of people. It's going to sound very familiar to a lot of people. Now, it's your story, but mm. many people have their own version of this story. And many people I've spoken to have come from very formal, rigid, linear starts to life and have completely changed their approach to life and have gone into a more holistic, use the word holistic. You, lose a lot, you lose, used a lot of words there that people are going to hear and they're used to hearing nowadays. But why it's exciting to talk to you is because as you'll find out in the next hour or two hours, however, however long we go here, you have really dug deep into this and you've started to share a lot of the knowledge that you found for you with other people. You've started to build communities. You've started to actually create foundation and structure for people like you that can come along with absolutely no, you don't have to be 
a hippie. You don't have to be ensconced in this or have a background mm. in plant medicine or anything. You can come and engage in some of the activities that you facilitate and start that journey for yourself. And that's where I see a gap nowadays because everybody talks about mental health. Everybody talks about the, the gap that religion has left. Everybody talks about men's health and, and spirituality. But then there's silence mm -hmm. in a lot of cases. There's mm -hmm. a lot of people on Instagram now who have the mental health flag and are waving it, which I said to you earlier is great because it's a, it's a great flag to be waving and it is real, but there's no real substance, no meat after that. Mm. You have shown a lot of people, including me, that there are tools, many, many tools you can implement to actually achieve some of these things, to actually find your purpose, to actually start that journey towards real happiness or to keep your job or leave your job, whatever it, that means to you. So mm -hmm. that's that's why this is very exciting to me. Um, so thanks for sharing your story with us there. Um, so first of all, a major part of what you do is centered around men's health. Mm -hmm. And something that I've been thinking about a lot, one, obviously, because I'm a man, but just from having conversations, listening to the general kind of hubbub following the media is there is a bit of a, a men's health crisis at the moment, <laughs> as yeah. well as an identity crisis. But there is there's a lot of talk about masculine toxic, to, to, uh, masculine toxicity and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's very, very difficult, I think, to navigate that as a man mm -hmm. without stepping on something you shouldn't step on or saying something you shouldn't say. So I, I think a lot of men are at a bit of an impasse as what, where do I go? Mm -hmm. Do I become a man or do I not become a man? Can I say this or can I not? What, what do I do now? So how does that, obviously your focus on men's health, how does that manifest itself in what you do and the message you give at the moment? Yeah, I think, you know, yeah, men have been getting a bit of a bashing the last number yeah. of years, you know, <laughs> and phrases like toxic masculinity, I don't think are so, uh, you know, um, what's the word, you know, obviously not positive, but not helpful. Yeah, not helpful. It's I like to frame it as uh, like the wounded masculine, you know, ultimately, um, or, you know, the unconscious masculinity. Um, and ultimately, a lot of my work is trying to reframe people around um yeah mental health you know i work with women as well so but in terms of the men it's like we're trying to rewrite what it means to be a man now you know a lot of these old societal and uh, cultural sort of um blueprints of what it means to be a man have started to fall away you know um because you know I, I feel a lot of it was like, you know, ma manipulation of, of the masculine to become hyper-masculine or okay. uh, over-masculine so that you could survive in the world, you know, that you needed com to compete, you needed to, like, backstab, you needed to... To be the quintessential alpha male. Yeah, yeah, you need to step over. Else, yeah. yeah, yeah, you need to step over people to get ahead in the world, okay. you know. Um, and that is ultimately, I feel, driven by, you know, the patriarchal, capitalistic society that we live in. Um, you know, if you think of... The, the the richest people in the world, like most of them are men and like, you know, how do they get there? Um by, you know, using other people, you know what I mean, ultimately, you know. Um and a lot of stuff around men's like self worth is tied into, you know, materialism and money and status. And you know, to get those, like you need to be very cutthroat in this world a lot of the time. But, uh, you know, then you have, uh, I don't know, other men in the world like uh, Nelson Mandela or Gandhi yeah. or Dalai Lama. They don't care about any of that stuff, but they're some of the greatest men that have ever lived because yeah. they're kind of more imbalanced. They haven't been they haven't been drawn into that sort of uh, hyper masculinity, you know, so they're not out of balance. So I think a big part of the men's work is trying to become more balanced again, being in touch with um, your inner uh, femininity or the inner feminine. 
and then the masculine. So trying to find this yin and yin and yang. So in between. So I like to use more yin and yang uh, terminology okay. because. You know, when you use terms like masculine and femininity, like people kind of go, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Put you in the yeah. camp straight away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, it kind of turns people off. Um, and like if, you do, if you're a man and you hear like get in touch with your inner femininity, like check in, how does that make you feel? Do you feel like resistant to that? Does it make you feel a bit like, oh, that's too woo woo for me? And just check in because you've been conditioned ultimately and your, your thought process around those terminologies yeah. have been determined by, by society, you know, and culture. Okay. Um, so yeah, I think we're at, at a really, really amazing time now because there's a lot of men starting to do men's work, and I think it's in reaction to a lot of men have ultimately been disempowered in their lives. They're doing stuff that they don't want to be doing. They're on that linear path, similar to what I was, you know. Um, like when I was younger, I did the whole athletics thing, you know, played all the sports, went to the gym, ate the protein, drank creatine, got as big as I could you know, try to be flash, wear all the nice clothes, all that sort of stuff. But like inside, it wasn't yeah. giving me any fulfillment. And it wasn't until I started to like check in with myself about, you know, what I want to do in the world and what is actually true to me. So get in touch with my truth and my authenticity that that's when I started to find my 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 happiness. You know, I was doing stuff that was true to me, not what like society said I should be doing or teachers or parents or family members or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I want to explore something you said a little yeah. bit deeper because I find this fascinating. And you mentioned the uh, capitalistic patriarchal society. And mm -hmm. when people hear that, like, and traditionally me, when I heard that phrase two or three years ago, it used to spark me big time. And I know loads of people listening to this now, men will be sparked by that. Mm -hmm. So we look at the society we lived in and most of the figures who are the 1% of power, let's mm -hmm. call it power. You look at ev evil dictators, you look at massive corporations. It's men usually in those positions. And you said that's a representation of hyper masculinity. And I like the way you put that, because sometimes when I used to hear that, I'm like, we're, we're bashing men here because there's, there are men who have done bad things. Mm -hmm. and I'm like, I'm not a bad guy. I'm a man and I like to win and I'm highly competitive and I'm driven by male urges. But because there's a man who does bad things, the other side now nowadays are bashing me as a man because mm -hmm. I have these urges. So now I feel like I can't get angry or I can't compete. Mm -hmm. Or if, like I genuinely love sport. I don't do it for anyone but me. I love physically lifting weight. I don't measure my numbers or compare them to anybody else. I just love doing it. But I'm not supposed to love that now because it's traditionally male and there's an evil dictator who killed thousands of people and he was mm -hmm. also male. So that used to spark me off now. Mm -hmm. But I like the way you put that, that it's hyper-masculinity. Because we do live in a capitalistic society. And I think we need to understand that. But my feeling is if I understand myself more as a man, the chances of me ever becoming an ultra evil capitalistic <laughs> dictator are probably very, very low. The yeah. chances are I'm probably going to create an my own little environment of my little family first mm. and friends mm. who are people like me and we're all doing our own self-work and I'm becoming that man that I want to be because nobody wants to be evil. But mm. I think... It's a pattern when you when you fall into the trappings of I need more money, more power, you become that kind of mm -hmm. hyper masculine figure because you think oh, every little step you take is a bit closer to that. I mean, this is the journey I'm on. Mm -hmm. But I think if we look as men a little bit deeper inside and realize no one, no one starts off wanting that. Mm -hmm. And if we were able to do some of the work that you're talking about here, about understanding and about maybe regaining that balance with femininity, I suppose, or our feminine side or the sides that we lose because we are listening to the social message. Mm -hmm. I think that makes a lot more sense to me now. So if you said that to me two years ago, it's a hold on a second here now. I'm going to pull out Jordan Peterson's book <laughs> and talk about the patriarchy and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. But I, I, I like the way you put that. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't alienate men anymore. It now says it's, it's still okay to be a man. 
It's actually really important to be a man. Oh, absolutely. And if you understand what it is to be a man, you're not going to end up being hyper anything because you're comfortable with who you are. Mm -hmm. um, and a lesson I learned was from fighters. I'm not a fighter, mm -hmm. if you could tell. I'm not a fighter. <laughs> but fighters, anyone who's really good at fighting tends not to fight outside the competition, the sport of fighting because they're so comfortable with their abilities. They don't yeah. feel the need to walk into a bar and flex the biceps and start and everybody who walks by, they're just comfortable with who they are. Mm -hmm. So I look at that and I say, if I can use that from an emotional point of view and understand that I am emotionally well-trained and conditioned, I don't need to establish my dominance over other men and women because... I'm just more comfortable with who I am. Mm -hmm. Sorry for that rant there. But when you said that, I was like, is he saying, no, no. Well, man. yeah, like, absolutely. And that that's that's totally way. Same for me. You know, I had no awareness of those sort of things um, a, a couple of years ago, you know, a few years ago. And same with, like, the, the drawbacks of capitalism and everything, you know. If someone was saying that to me, I used to think, like, oh, man, go... You know, go go back down to your, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Your, your your finance books or, you know, <laughs> exactly, Karl yeah. Marx or something, you know. <laughs> um, but, like, when you really start to look outside, and this is a big thing that, like, you know, psychedelics can, can shift you. You can start to see how the inner workings of the world is geared up, you know. And for men, it's ultimately geared up to make us into a resource, you know, where we work all the time, where we're constantly plugging away, we're constantly doing, we're constantly moving forward and we have very little time for stopping for slowing down for the in aspects um in the world so you know connecting to creativity yeah to like whatever that is writing just being in nature um but we all a lot of men their self-worth is wrapped up in yeah like i said earlier the status money the career looking big looking strong uh, which is just it can be an armor defense mechanism or an ego defense mechanism too yeah. like literally physically carrying muscle as armor against the world like I'll fight anybody who yeah. tries to you know fuck me over or do me wrong or something yeah. excuse my language oh but please <laughs> <laughs> I lose the run of myself sometimes so cursed away but, it, but it's the same you know it's like ultimately what I'm starting to see um, with regards to men's work is that a lot of men feel so dis disconnected from um, themselves and other men and um, this is around like the wounding that we suffer from our, our brothers as we as we grow up, like our friends, I use brothers as friends, yeah. and also our father, so the father wound. And these things, we carry them and with us and we interact with other men in that way. So we're always trying to compete then, prove our self-worth, prove our macho-ness. You know, this is hyper-masculinity, this kind of macho complex that people have. Um, and what does that benefit? Well, it benefits a society where everybody buys one of everything. Everybody, buy, everybody buys a new car. Everybody wants the biggest apartment. Everybody wants the new shiny thing. So this drives society um, in terms of, um, you know, economic growth and, yeah. um, and money. And like, who's benefiting from that? Like the people at the top, which have rigged the system <laughs> ultimately. So like, if you look last year, you know, like in the pandemic, like which companies did the best, you know what I mean? It would, they, they made sure that they were doing the best, you know, the likes of Amazon and stuff like that. Cause the whole system is like totally rigged, you know? Um, do you get pushback because look I'm there with you 100% yeah. <laughs> I have sometimes I have to be careful the way I present that information well, 100% anyone who knows me knows what I think about the system Yeah, it, I'm not a conspiracy theorist I don't even like that word because I think it, it devalues anybody who has an opinion outside the norm you're a conspiracy theorist so mm. I don't like that phrase yeah. wasn't it invented by the FBI or something that Which? phrase conspiracy theory 
Oh, God knows. It, I think it was invented by the FBI to discredit anybody who, who was talking about black ops in, from, um, operations or stuff like that. Anyway, it was it was created by the system to discredit anyone who disagreed with them. But uh, the the ability to to question the norm, I think, is really important. Yeah. You're a scientist, so yeah. your whole your whole training was about question. Question things and find the actual answer. As a scientist, mm-hmm. you want to find the answer and not listen to the narrative, I suppose. So that really gives you backing when you talk about the system. And the system is rigged. And it doesn't mean we all have to go around wearing tinfoil hats and, and burning down buildings and getting super angry and mm-hmm. that. It means we need to empower ourselves. 100%. That's what yeah. I hear yeah. when I hear the system. Absolutely. And for me, you know, as a scientist, you know, kind of look at the data. So in, in, the, last, yeah. in the last number of years, um, you know, uh, if you're a man, um, you're three times more likely to commit suicide due to, you know, the pressures of life probably or what's going on. Uh, the rates of prostate cancer in Ireland are the highest in Europe. Testicular cancer, three times higher than it was in 1998 compared to, I think it was uh, 2018. So, like, you look at society and ultimately there is a sickness there. You know, people are, you know, there's a mental health crisis out there for not just men, for women. Big time. You know what I mean? So, you know, with all of this stuff going on, and it's really amazing that a lot of uh, men have started to come out now and reduce the stigma and talk about their, what's going on, talk about their experiences. But, like, ultimately, like, there's a lot of people sick in the world with not just mental health stuff, you know, um, with, you know, physical yeah. Illnesses, diseases, which you know people think is also linked to men, to the, oh, thousand percent to the mind, you know, yeah, 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 hundred percent. Um, so you know the way society is going is not in a direction that I think is um good. You know, it's like you know people should not be dying unnecessarily. You know, yeah. there's so much like you know diabetes, heart failure, lung problems out there. If you think about like the cigarette industry, you know how that yeah, completely yeah, rigged yeah. it early on. You know, doctors were prescribing cigarettes for people with anxiety yeah. and you know like the ads back then were like smoke it's good for you <laughs> but then 30 years later we have the science around it and it, it shows like well it's actually really bad for you so yeah. I, I like to think like well what are we doing now that in like 10-15 years they're going to look back and go Jesus why was everybody doing that like yeah. it makes so much sense like not to do that now why were we doing it back then do you know what I mean Here's a really, really interesting point to make on what you just said there. And it's uh, this is something because I worked in a clinical setting for so yeah. long. From a medical point of view, there are definite medical trends now that didn't exist 20 years ago because of the levels of chronic stress. Testosterone is a huge one, absolutely huge. The levels of testosterone on average from a, in a 50-year-old male have dropped 50% in the last 50 years. Mm. That's insane. And there's no way of avoiding the connection between your mental health, your cardiac health, your physical health, everything, your motivation, mm. your drive, your self-worth. If your testosterone is low, you're going to have all those kind of issues. Um, but the 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 really controversial spin on this that I often get into with some of my friends is you mentioned the system there and it is rigged and we are just the cogs in the system with the workarounds. Mm-hmm. We are we 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 are the system, we support the system, but we don't benefit necessarily from the system. Mm-hmm. And the pushback I get in that sometimes is, well, these these organizations and people have an ethical responsibility to us. And I was like, to even understand what that means. They, they write the rules. They write the ethics. So we have to follow the rules that they write. Mm-hmm. We are not the, the the beneficiaries of this system. We are the product in the system. Mm-hmm. So 
if we can understand that and step outside that and take care of ourselves, we're no longer the product. Now we can benefit from this amazing world we live in because it is an incredible time. And people say, well, look, at, look, at, this is an amazing world we live in. How can you say it's, it's people are miserable? That's kind of twisting what I'm saying a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing time because we can sit here and we can, we're on cameras and you drove here in a car and we've got mobile phones. It's, ama- it's incredible. We didn't have yeah. this 20 years ago. But people are less happy. Yeah, They're less happy. So that's just, and, and, and medically, we're less healthy chronically we've mm-hmm. more chronic disease than we did before so why why are we arguing about that let's just look at the data as mm-hmm. you said and figure out what that is and i think it's linked in with exactly what you work on which is identity and purpose and a sense of self-worth because if you don't have these things how can you be happy that is happiness yeah and community as well Com- community you know yeah. that's the biggest one for me i think a lot of community has been destroyed especially in ireland you know we were a country that you know had good community yeah uh, for a long time, you know, we had this great, you know, social fabric and that's yeah. definitely been unwoven in the last number of years. And, you know, something like the pandemic, I think, really highlights that because, you know, people are looking around and they don't know their neighbours. The old people are, you know, like, you have no one to go to the shops for them yeah. because, like, their family lives so far away and they don't know the people around them. So, like, this kind of fabric has been destroyed and it creates isolation and yeah. it creates loneliness and it creates you know, anxiety and sadness for people. Yeah. So like a big part of my work is trying to create this um, community of people who are, you know, coming from a similar sort of um, similar background, I suppose, like they want something more for their for their lives. Yeah. They, they want to connect to people who they resonate with, who are working on themselves, who are, um, you know, being a bit more heart centered. So, you know, having that non-competitive sort of interaction um, being non-judgmental, being open, uh, being vulnerable. Yeah. So that's a big part of the men's work. And, you know, we did a retreat earlier the week with 30 men. And it's amazing how quickly guys drop into that space of being vulnerable when they know the space is safe and open and how everybody really learns from each other so much. And the level of connection that you get from that is so much more than the real world, you know. Um, or not to use the real world, but like in the kind of the, the outside world. Yeah, so the Matrix. The Matrix, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that was a kind of issue for a lot of guys who were like, oh God, I don't want to go back out there and then not have these kind of fulfilling connections in my life. So having really deep, honest, open conversations, helping each other, being compassionate towards each other, being kind, being generous. You know, it's like these these are the things that you would have in community a lot. You know, people really looking out for each other. Yeah. But now it's like you're kind of peeking at your neighbors. Oh, what car do they have this year? Or we're, you know, how, we're taught to be competitive. Yeah, how can I be? How can I be better than them? You yeah. know. So this kind of lack of community has been a real big push for me, and especially around the men's work because you know I've I've uh, you know because I've been through my own journey. I've a lot I've a lot of love for people who are walking that path of uh, trying to seek a better life. You know, um, you know, in my early twenties, I would have loved to have somebody who was able to guide me on that. So, you know, that's a big part of my work now is trying to guide, mentor people around that. And, you know, what works for me might necessarily work for for other people. And, you know, um, people, other people shouldn't be me and I don't want to be them. You know, each each of us, you know, finds our own way. There's many paths. There's many different modalities. You know, breathwork works for some people, shamanism, plant medicine, yoga, uh, meditation, many different types of meditation, um, dancing, um, you know, so there's all of these different interwoven threads and that, you know, finding what works from each of them and then 
you know, kind of assimilating or integrating into your life and what's true for you, you know, because what might be true for me isn't necessarily true for you. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of a big part of my journey around uh, working with plant medicine, psychedelics, is that like, I didn't believe that that could actually happen until I had those direct experiences where I was like, oh my God. Okay. And I had direct experiences on 10 day silent retreats where I was sitting there just, you know what I mean? In, 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 in complete awareness and having clarity and focus and being able to, you know, see things from a totally different perspective. But like, I, I never believed that until it actually happened, you know, as, as a, as a kind of scientist. Yeah. And, you know, um, I think that's a big thing with spirituality is people kind of scoff at it, you know, um, and they go, oh, that's just for hippies or that's far out there. Or maybe they have a lot of biases around it being linked to religion and having that sort of negative feeling towards religion, which you know I understand is like uh, totally OK yeah, <laughs> because of what's yeah. happened in this country. Um, so, you know, it's about trying to find what's real for you, what's true for you, what feels authentic um, and listening to that, like, you know. There's so I'm writing notes here like a lunatic, <laughs> which I never do because there's so many things you said there that are amazing. Um, I'm going to go back to one of the first things you said there. Um, w when men come in and they find this safe space, mm -hmm. they all of a sudden realize oh, it's like a, it's like a, just a release after, and they don't want to go back. And you mentioned something called brother wounds at the start, and, mm -hmm. and it's all kind of making so much sense in my head now as you're speaking. If we've grown up with these brother wounds and we're so competitive with each other and we're causing hurt to other men and women, and, and I'll keep saying men a lot because it is kind of we're focusing on that at the moment, but yeah. it's women as well. If that becomes your world and you're, that's how you get driven to this hyper masculinity because you're constantly trying to one up the next guy. But that's your mate. That's your pal. That's your brother. And traditionally, that would have been the soldier, the hunter beside you that you kind of have to work together and know each other and learn each other and love each other yeah. to succeed. We don't have that anymore. But when you go to a safe space, or you have something like the hammer blow to your consciousness. Yeah. You re it's a realization. And we're talking nowadays about this awakening, this mm -hmm. intellectual and spiritual awakening people are having, having. And I think this is a huge part of it is when you do get, I've seen this before as well, when you get 30 men in a room and they realize that no one is going to have a go at them and it, this is actually safe. The stuff that comes out is absolutely incredible to see what comes out. And then there's a real a realization that when I go back into this world, it's all about the car I drive and the house I have. And I don't want that anymore. Yeah. And it's 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 that's a powerful transformation for somebody because I've had that experience a few times. Mm -hmm. You see this on a week to week basis now with people. Yeah. That's really, really powerful. And um, so I, what I want to say to anybody listening is like you just said there, until you have that experience, until you put yourself in a position where you can have that experience, it's very hard to understand that. Because mm -hmm. every day, all day, you're surrounded by buy more, do more, be more. If you don't get yourself physically hack this system and pull yourself out of that and go and do something, whatever that is, a walk with a friend, go and do a, a men's health workshop with that, whatever, unless you do something that puts you in a safe space, you're going to be stuck there. Mm -hmm. But what I've seen now is a lot more, a lot more people, men and women, are kind of going, I think there's, I think there's a safe, I think there's something I can do. <laughs> yeah, and it's it, it's it's really hard to step uh, out of your comfort zone and into yeah. that work, you know. And you know, I was trying to really reiterate to people during the weekend, you know, like get out of your comfort zone. That's where the growth is, you know. That's where you'll get that wisdom. That's where you'll get that insight. That's where you'll find your intention that you're looking for. Um, you know, if you want to find your purpose, you're going to have to get uncomfortable, yeah. <laughs> you and know. It's a hard thing to hear, yeah, but it's true. Yeah, and it's because like so, so many men and, you know, I work with women as well, we're stuck, we're so stuck, you know, and then we come up against, oh, maybe I should go to that men's circle or mixed circle or retreat and then you go, oh, no, like there's dancing on the poster, I don't want to do that. Yeah. That's way too uncomfortable for yeah. me, you know. Your man has a moustache, he's probably a <laughs> lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's like, 
if that's a thought that you have, like, I really, really, really appeal to you to, like, go for it, just get in there, push it, you know, and, you know, stuff that I do in the men's circles, we do in the retreats, nothing is prescriptive, nothing, you, ha you don't have to do anything that you don't want to do, we're not making you do anything, we're just creating the space and the container for you to go in, you know, and giving you all the support that you need to uh, find it out for yourself, because, you know, we can't, ultimately, I can't figure your life out for you, it's up to you, I can just be there beside you and give you whatever support and help you need, and also, the alchemy that we kind of have at the circles, you know, we have so many different men from different backgrounds, different ages. Um, you know, we've had men in their like late 70s. We've had lads in their teens. We've had many different sexual orientations. We've had, you know, men from different countries, different backgrounds. Um, and that's when you really get mirrored a lot of like what it means to be a man, because, you know, everybody's going through struggles everybody's struggle is just as tough as yours, you know. It, no one's struggle is is worse because I feel that suffering is suffering ultimately yeah. at the end of the day. But when you sit in a circle um, as equals and you hear what everybody else is going through, you're like, oh shit, my problems aren't probably as bad. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or you get an insight into, whoa, this is what it actually means to be a man. We're so multifaceted. We've had, there's many different experiences, many different journeys we can be on. There's many different roles we can play. There's many different identities and you can start to piece together for yourself. Oh, that guy was talking about that. You know, I that was like me five years ago and he he actually put language on it. And then you can go off and look into it and maybe figure it out for yourself or like, oh, that guy, that was uh, like me last year. And he that's what he took away from it. I took away something different. And then you can talk about that. How, how did you come to those terms? Or, you know, so it's like the space, it's also the alchemy that happens between everyone else. Everyone else learns from each other too. And I love that. I love, you know, in between all the things that we do, those little conversations you have with people, you know, that's where they find the gold. That's where they find the nugget. That's where they find what they're looking for. It's like, oh, I never realized you could do that. Or I never realized um, that was like that. Or I never had that perspective. And, you know, you're because of the space, you're meeting people on an open, heart-centered level where you know that that guy doesn't want anything from you. He's not trying to compete. He's not trying to big you up his ego is in the way he's just generally like just having a chat you know which is great <laughs> yeah, which is it's it's a, such a it's not a common feeling anymore no but i'm sure you've had this many many times and i've had this with a couple of people where you realize finally after knowing a guy for a long time you finally get to a point where you realize that you're not actually competing for everything anymore mm -hmm. and you have a real and that connection is like it like slaps you in the face you're like whoa we just kind of had had a conversation and we really kind of connected on so many different levels. We really saw each other right to eye and there was none of this bullshit about what we're supposed to be and how much money do you earn? Look at that car and I've got bigger biceps and it was, it was just all gone and you have this connect and it's so rare nowadays that when it does happen, you're like, it almost takes you, takes, it shocks you almost. Yeah. yeah. Um, you said, it, the way you're describing this as well is coming in and finding your own pathway and, fi and finding your own, I used to call, I still do call them the tools mm -hmm. when I was strictly from a health and medicine point of view, this is how we approached health as well. So the same thing doesn't work for everybody mm -hmm. and the same diet doesn't work for everybody and the same training program doesn't work for anybody when I was in the real health-focused environment and the whole thing was step into this, step out of your comfort zone and start con having conversations with people and exploring different ways of doing things than the one narrative that you're getting mm -hmm. and you will start to find tools that work for you. Yeah, absolutely. And people started to get better and people were getting healthier. So that was my first introduction to this concept and now talking to people like you and following your work and, and things like that, I real, you realize that's just how this whole life thing works. You have to get out there 
and start to look for this stuff because you, you you have this voice in the back of your head saying you're not happy doing this you're not this yeah. is not the way you want to live and most people it's grand it's fine it's grand I'll just keep doing it at some point I'll retire I'll have loads of money I'll be happy I'll sail off into the distance and then I realise that never happens <laughs> you have to step into this safe zone it is a safe zone but it seems terrifying and you'll start to find those tools those things you like to do because people are familiar with sea swimming and meditation and breath work and Wim Hof and journaling and most people who listen to that they're not in a space where that makes any sense to them mm -hmm. they're in this go they're on, on the wheel they're just go and you say journal and they're like no 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 no, I don't I don't feel good well maybe try journal or writing better no 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 no. I don't have time for journal, I don't have time for journal. They, they're not in the space where they're receptive mm -hmm. to something and maybe journaling won't work for them Yeah. but as soon as they put themselves into that safe space whether that's a, a men's circle or whether it's going for a walk with their friend or whether it's sitting on the beach for five minutes just listening to the wind or mm -hmm. whatever it is to physically put yourself in a position where you're open now maybe journal makes sense to you or maybe you see swimming like that could be transformed or, or maybe plant medicine or something. Mm -hmm. um, so I think finding those tools, they are your tools. So I'm not going to tell you, you couldn't tell me how to live my life. I'm not going to tell you. And I think a lot of people think oh, I'm going to have to put on baggy pants now and wear sandals <laughs> when it's cold. And I don't want to do any of that kind of stuff because yeah. my friends will laugh at me. It's not about that at all. You start to find the things that really resonate with you. And that's ultimately what makes you feel like you have a purpose because you're doing your things. Yeah. You're not doing anyone else's things. You're doing your things. Um, spirituality. You mentioned that there as well. And you said correctly that it gets a bit of a bashing now. And you also mentioned earlier on about this religious vacuum. Mm -hmm. And it's something I thought about for a long time because I grew up in a traditionally Catholic um family and we went to mass and everything and I still go at Christmas time and Easter to support my family and I still love I have a daughter we got her baptized and I'm, I don't believe in God or anything like that but I always had this real and I didn't want I didn't like calling it spirituality but a real need to be a part of something that mm -hmm. was bigger than me mm -hmm. a community something mm -hmm. so I called it this spirituality I believed in all these people coming to wish my daughter well on that day. I thought it was beautiful. Mm. It wasn't about God saying, you're good to go mm -hmm. and you can go and get married in the church and all that. For me, it was just all my mates and my family were all there high five and saying, this is amazing. Look at this little girl. It's mm. amazing. So that was, I always had this thing in my head, but you've actually described it really well there. The religion gave us a lot of our identity in this country. There are so many problems with organized religions. But it, it helped us build our community in Ireland. And we had a real identity as, pe as people of the tribe and of the community. And that's gone now. Mm. And not only is it gone, it's scorned. And we've thrown the baby out with the bat water. Everything's gone. And we've no set of rules for how to live our life. We've no sense of identity, no sense of tribe. So that w why do you think that word spirituality gets such a bashing now among our generation? Because we're essentially the same age and younger. Why is that word now getting a bit of a hard time as well as religion? So people are kind of just floating in the ether in the gray area. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of what you kind of said there about, you know, ultimately people view spirituality as religion, yeah. you know, um, and that's what they've been brought up to think. Um, do you know what I'm just picturing this influencer and... I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's so much like uh, fake spirituality out there, you know. Is, I think this is, yeah. You know, um, and I think for me, what really helped me on my path was, you know, the training that I got as a scientist. Okay. And yeah, yeah, was yeah. able to kind of just see true stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or use discernment and critical thinking. Um, you know, if anybody tells you that they're, they're going to heal you or they're going to fix you, like it's absolute shite. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Only you can heal yourself, you know. Um, so... You know, there's a lot of spiritual ego out there as well. And it's something that, you know, um, the ego is so tricky in so many ways. It can trap you in lots of different ways, you know. But you can see people getting sucked into that narrative and wanting to become 
the guru or wanting to become like the the spiritual leader but from from what place you know what i mean is it from a, a place of trying to be better or or more enlightened than other people yeah. or are they actually trying to you know uh you know help suffering in the world yeah. um so yeah i think it's really tricky and especially for, for irish people i actually you know the more traveling that I do, the more I love that I'm Irish. Really, yeah. <laughs> that, I've, that, I've, that I'm Irish, yeah, because we we're, we don't take any bullshit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair. You know, we really see true stuff, you know, and I love that when I'm away, say in India or I was in Guatemala there recently and you just meet another Irish person and you're just, you just click straight away and you can just see through it because I think as Irish people, um, the Irish, I think the Irish psyche has taken such a, a beating, you know, we have such a big pain body in the country around, you know, the colonial legacy of our land's been taken, our ultimately our spirituality been taken. So, you know, our mythology, our yeah. our you know, we have we have such a strong um what's the word? Uh we had such a strong culture in this country that yeah. was ultimately like rooted out, was ripped out, you know, like the whole country was covered in beautiful native woodland and, you know, Oliver Cromwell came over and like chopped it all because he knew that was a lifeblood you know we weren't allowed to dance we weren't allowed to sing yeah. we weren't allowed to even speak our own language we lost touch uh, with all our traditional days such as Bieltana, Lunasa, yeah. Samhain Imblog you know um, so I think there's a real rediscovery now trying to look back at our culture and there's like, I can see there's a revival in the Irish language there's yeah. a revival in, in sort of Celtic traditions um, because people are looking for that sense of identity again now that now that the Catholic Church is ultimately losing power, we're able to connect back to you know the land and who we who we who we truly were as people, um, and yeah, it, you know, there's a lot of anger there. There's a lot of anger there, and there's a lot of rage, and there's a lot of you know people really really feel that sort of suffering. You know, like there's just uh, never ending stuff <laughs> that's happening. You know, yeah. the June babies. Or like all the cases coming out against priests, or you know holding land, and um, you know it's 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 really entrenched in this country. I think I read something in recently that the Catholic Church is still the highest property owner in the country. You know they have the most land, the most property, um, and you know we have homelessness crisis and all this sort of stuff. You know, so yeah, not not to go down too into the anger route, but you know they've ultimately taken a lot of our our um, seminal uh, moments in our lives our lives so that's why our last retreat was on the rites of passage so these rites of initiation oh, I love that. into um different parts of our lives so you know from a boy into a man or from a girl into a woman or uh, around birth around death around marriage they were all kind of capitalized on by the catholic church from a point of you know control and yes. power so now that that is fading away we're kind of like oh well there's nothing else out there you know what i mean like who marries me now? Who does my funeral? Uh, who names my child? Uh, how do I know that I'm not no longer a, a, a boy into a manhood? So there's like this big movement now around trying to reclaim those rites of passage. And, you know, for me, a lot of that stuff ties into spirituality. So it's, it's always a, a, ever evolving for me what spirituality is. And I think it's it's probably individual to each person. But for me, and I talk a lot about this to my uh, my friend and business partner, Rob Coffey, you know, it's like connection to to ourselves, what's what's real for us, what's true for us, and then connection to others um, and, you know, creating the community and a sense of belonging and a sense of, you know, a community purpose and uh, meaning. And then nature, like ultimately seeing ourselves not as separate from nature, but actually within nature. And, 
you know, as humans, we've tried to take from nature and control nature and to maximize our our gain from nature. So there's that disconnection. And then that's ultimately leading to, you know, <laughs> all the, the kind of uh, natural disasters that are happening in the world because they're out of balance and then the extinction of animals and loss of habitats. And, yeah. you know, so it's like for me, spirituality, if you're connected to yourself, you're connected to other people, you're connected to nature, you're living more in alignment. What I feel is what is to be a human being. And then also being aware of, you know, this term spiritual bypassing. So like, you know, good vibes only or I'm great and grand, you know what I mean? Doing the work and being involved in spirituality, but not actually getting into the negative stuff. So not getting into the shadow, uh, these kind of like terrible ways a human can be, uh, you know, not actually feeling anger, suppressing rage, suppressing grief, sadness, sorrow, whatever the emotions are, not going into those, just kind of pushing them aside and trying to like live in the light the whole time. So trying to have this full human experience of, you know, all these emotions, which are, you know, society says they're bad and we should avoid them. And yeah, you know, go take your tablets or drink your drink or buy the new thing. They'll make you feel happy. So actually trying to experience those and then also experience all the happy and other emotions. We have this kind of like full circle of what it means to be a human being in the world. And I think for me, that's what kind of spirituality is. I'm just going to cut that bit out there <laughs> and this is going to be on repeat in my ears oh, over and over and over again. That's unreal, man. Yeah. Because that, that, that is the core of, I feel, so many problems nowadays. We talk about identity crisis as an individual, as a culture, as a planet, and you've kind of just cut bar right down to the actual main fundamental core of the problem there, which is allowing ourselves to experience the full spectrum of what it is to be a human and then off that baseline building up into the human you want to be or you know you can be and if we're all doing that work I mean the world is the, the hyper masculine dictators don't exist anymore that doesn't yeah. happen anymore but I think we're falling into that now I'm going to ask you a question here because you said there, there seems to be a shift back to trying to reclaim this I know there's a desire to reclaim this my question to you is do you think this is happening because what I see is People want this, definitely. People are looking for this, definitely. But they're very conveniently being filtered into diverse groups that all seem to be at loggerheads with each other. So we all want the same thing. So I look at things like um, gender identity issues and confusion, which we can talk about in the future. Oh, it's not in the future, in a bit, little bit later on. Um, political uh, diversions, economical diversions, uh, 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 divisions, sorry, all of these different groups that we're all in now, Black Lives Matter versus the other side. Uh, all these people are now coming out saying, I want more, I want a community, I want to be connected with people. But they're saying, right, you're in this group. And now I'm in this group under this flag and all mm -hmm. of a sudden I'm against all these other people because these all believe different things. I, I know at the end of the day we're all human beings and we mm -hmm. all have the ability to be good or bad and we all need to acknowledge that. And that's yeah. actually one thing I do love about what Peterson says as well. We could be anything, including an officer in the SS yeah, yeah. or Mahatma Gandhi. Or we could be anybody. The shadow work, yeah. The shadow work. You have to acknowledge that, accept it, feel it and move into it and then build off that. But I, I think we're, we are avoiding that and we're being sold this message of, OK, you're outraged and you're angry. Super. Stand in this line. <laughs> yeah. You stand in that line. And now we're all in these different lines. And now we're turning around and saying, oh, you're in the wrong line because you don't think you're not in my line. And we're all in these different little factions now. So I, I believe we all want the same thing. And you've just said that you think there is a reclaiming of this. Let's talk about Ireland and our culture and our desire to be who we are. Mm -hmm. But I, are you are you encouraged by what you see at the moment nowadays? Do you think it's a pendulum that's going to swing back and we're going to find that centre? Um, 
we know, like, I'm in a you know, bit of a bubble sometimes, so... <laughs> That's <laughs> like, why I asked you the question. Well, like, you're at, like, you like could look at it that like, way, or you know, you're at the cutting edge, because yeah. you're seeing people come in who are not... They're, they're, these are, quote-unquote, normal people who are just living their lives, and then they come into you. They're not on a journey. They just come, and they're, I need help. Yeah. So you are seeing that. Yeah, well, I think it's like, you know, what was I going to say there? It's like having, yeah, having your discernment, you know what I mean? Because there is a, you know, health and wellness industry now, you know, there's a spiritual industry. Um, but for me, it's kind of like, you kind of should uh, intuitively connect to your, your gut, you know what I mean? Or your heart. And look, are these people actually walking the walk? Like, are they, are they living and embodying uh, what they're saying? Are they living and embodying their message? Are they, you know, creating change in the world? Are they actually doing it from a place of compassion, from heartfulness, from kindness, from being acts of service? Um, and, you know, looking at what are their ethos? What are their, you know, what are their, what is their message ultimately at the end of the day? Do you fully agree with their message? And I think there's, you know, in the human condition, I think there's always going to be diversity in what we do. So you look at some of the oldest sort of uh, spiritual teach teachings in like Buddhism, there's many different schools of Buddhism because, you know, there's no one way, you know what I mean? And that's a really big thing. There's no one way to to live your life. Um, and there's many different paths um, to whatever self-actualization or um, enlightenment or, yeah. um, you know, um, uh, yeah, self-growth. So, you know, it's finding what really, really resonates with you and then trying to see like, you know, what's what's the energy exchange? Am I paying a lot of money for this? And is it like constantly paying a lot of money for it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, do, like, yeah, what, what what's the energy transfer? Like, do you feel that it's uh, it's equal, that it's good? Um, is it about the person at the top? Are they making it about themselves? You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. Or do they feel it's truly a, 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 about, you know, the person, not as a product, you know okay. what I mean? So, yeah, I think there's a, you have to have discernment, you know what I mean? I think people have lost a lot of that kind of critical thinking and discernment because, you know, ultimately weren't really taught it, to be honest, unless you become, became a scientist or something, you know what I mean, yeah. where it's drilled into you. Um, I'll, I'll use the example maybe of, uh, like, feminism. Mm -hmm. Okay, that, now that word is just a trigger. People are just jumping up and down on their seats all over the world, yeah. So, like, most people, probably like me and you, believe that we all should live in complete unity with each other and contribute what we contribute to the community mm -hmm. as a very basic rule. And off the back of that, some people become scientists and some people whatever. So I know lots of women and men who support women and men. They're just people. That's just that's what it is. So I'm a feminist and you're a feminist and all these women are feminists. But there's now a feminist culture or a group. And if you join, if you say, yeah, I'm a feminist, I'm part of that group, you're now pigeonholed into this is what a feminist is and a feminist now is anti-masculinity and anti-man and pro-equality uh, of outcome and all these mad words you hear thrown around so now you don't really believe any of those things but you're a feminist okay that's that's th these are my people now yeah and you very quickly become one of those people and what happens conversely is if i see that person now and i'm a man and i'm anti-feminist now and i see that woman who Five minutes ago, we were the best of friends and we were the same people, we're community, but now she's a feminist. Oh, now she's not in my group anymore. Oh, yeah. So I, that's what I see happening now. We're both looking for the same thing, but now you're in the feminist group and I disagree with the, the, the bullet points that under the word feminist because nowadays it seems to be a lot of man hate. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you use that word because like, uh, I think a few a number of years ago, someone called me a feminist and I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what, really? Like, I'd never I even... Uh, like identified to that or I knew like feminism, uh, but I, I had a, a kind of a negative sort of 
bias towards yeah. it based on society and culture. Which most men, I feel, nowadays do. Yeah, and but to me, at the end of the day, it's like equality. You know what I mean? It's like, it, 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 do you want equality between the both the, or all the different genders? Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you're if you you call yourself a feminist, but you're man bashing, you're probably wounded. You're probably a wounded feminine. You know, you're you got into feminism because you have a father wound or a brother wound or a societal wound or something like that. So, you know, just because you use a label on yourself or you identify as something doesn't mean that you necessarily are doing it in the correct way, you know. And, yeah. you know, I think as humans, we love labels you know, like we love being able to say, oh, that guy is a doctor. That guy's a lawyer. He's a physio. He's a, you know, whatever. And then we can put them into a, a box. Yeah. You know, we can put them into this preformed sort of notion of what we have. And then ultimately we then project onto them. So they just become a projection yeah. of our past experiences. So we love to do that as humans. So, you know, a big part of my work is trying to just like not identify as anything and not like have these labels and just be a human being. That's <laughs> that's what I was looking for there. Because that's that I, that I think is the key. I completely agree with you there, yeah. We we do love to label people, put them in a box, but I I see that being a convenient way for the system to to keep us all from unifying in this global community way that we we obviously want to do. We obviously want to take take back control for ourselves over our lives. But if we're in all these different boxes, it's very hard for us to do that. Um, and we thought the internet was going to be that, but it's controlled. <laughs> so if you do have a very powerful message, the chances are it's not going to really be as effective as you want it to be because it's going to be suppressed against the, all the, the labelling messages. What are you? Are you an accountant? Well, here's how to be an accountant. What are you? I, I give mm. accountants and all. I don't know why accountant keeps coming to my head, but when I think of like, you are a thing, like I don't know what I am right now. You you are trying not to identify as anything. So for me, that's a lot more powerful because it, le- it lets me work on the things I need to work on without thinking I just have to be this thing now. Mm-hmm. And I project it on me, everyone projects it on me. So yeah, I, I love that answer. Absolutely love that answer. And like, yeah, definitely even, you know, on the, on the weekend uh, and a lot more men's work I do, it's like, well, I just feel like, you know, I've been on this deep quest of trying to find out what it means to be a man. And then, you know, on the outside, I can see, oh, does that what it means to be a woman? But ultimately, you're like, you're a person, you yeah. know, and then you have like all of the other kind of stuff just put on top of you, you know. So I, yeah, I feel yeah. myself as more as a person these days who's like doing the work and I have a male body. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But and I mean, I'll, I'll speak from my experience here. You can add to this or you can disagree. But like I still I do identify as a man. But I'm figuring out that me as a man is not what I'm being told anymore what a man is. Now, mm. now for me, a man for me is being a father to my children, yeah. being a partner to my my fiance, being... I, I thought about this in the context, this is a sensitive subject, so I apologize if anyone gets offended, but the, the, the topic of sexual assault and rape. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, I, I couldn't even start to, I don't even know where that starts for a person to rape or assault another person I don't I don't know where that starts because it's not in my head I wouldn't have the ability to do that to somebody but some some men do and it's the majority of men who rape women mm-hmm. and I, I can't I'm kind of thinking to myself the type of person who does that is obviously not the type of person who has understood what it is to be a man because in my in my um uh, understanding of what a man is it's its literally the opposite it's somebody who protects not women but vulnerable people mm-hmm. it's someone who looks out for the, the vulnerable in the community whether that's children or older people or in, in the physical capacity women tend to not be as physically able in some capacities as men so you look out for people you take care of people and women do that in their own way and everyone does that in their own way so if I sexually assault somebody I'm not being we nearly lost the picture there I'm not being what I believe is a man 
So I think that that crisis, that under, I, I'm proud of being a man, the man that I've sat down and thought to myself, this is the man I want to be. And I'm proud that I'm working on that now. Mm. And I'm proud also, even though it gives me massive anxiety most of the time, that I'm not trying to be the man that my phone is telling me I'm supposed to be. Because otherwise I'd have loads of money and a nice car and a nice house, but I know I'd be miserable. So I'm, very, I'm proud of that, despite the fact that it gives me crippling anxiety because <laughs> I have this comparison syndrome. Of course, yeah. And, and that's, that's really wonderful that um, you shared that because I feel that, you know, a lot of the men's work that I do and uh, Rob does and what's happening out there is like redefining what it means to be a man yeah. and pushing back against the narrative, the scripts, the stories that we've been given, you know. So, yeah, I think it, we're at this amazing time now where we're like, yeah, rewriting what it means to be a man in the world and hopefully riding it in like more of a like a positive manner and yeah. you know a lot of it's around like re-empowerment like self-empowering ourselves to you know do the things we want to do and connect to our purpose and passion and to um have a, a happy and fulfilled life you know yeah yeah beautiful uh, it's so it's also powerful um another aspect of being a person <laughs> man or woman or whatever is sexuality yeah and this is one i was Maybe this is going to sound a bit weird. I'm very excited to talk to you about as well. But this is something that's not, especially in Ireland, but on a global scale, even though we all think we're super open-minded and we delve really deep into this kind of stuff and we're all very, very cool nowadays when it comes to sexuality and we've got Tinder and yeah, I date online and all this kind of jazz, actually talking about sexuality and intimacy. I, I don't know the last time I heard, apart from between me and my partner, that I've heard a conversation or someone talk about this. I saw the post you put up on Instagram. <laughs> was it removed from Instagram first? Or? Yeah, they they like yeah, deleted on me because I think, I don't know, it was too raunchy or something. You were in your birthday suit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I used some of the wrong hashtags, you know, because okay. I, I reached out to some people in that sphere and they're like, oh, I can't use those hashtags. Oh, uh, okay, you get okay. Decensored or, yeah, censored. You know? Censored or whatever, yeah, cancelled. Yeah, cancelled. Um, but this conversation around sexuality is, it's linked, completely unavoidably linked with your understanding of yourself as a person in a relationship with just people, not necessarily in a monogamous one-on-one -on -one relationship. It's just your relationship with people. It's intimate. And uh, we have been taught in this country, one of, maybe one of the flaws attached with the old school thinking in this country is to avoid that, suppress that, don't think about that, don't talk about that. And it's created a massive stigma for people. Mm -hmm. And now we seem to have swung way in the opposite direction in terms of our exposure to kind of porn and sex and what we think is intimacy, that it's completely rewired the younger generation. And for people like myself and yourself, like we're both in our early 30s, I feel like we're in the middle of this kind of going, well, we grew up one way, but now it's all the other way. So like that can lead to massive confusion as well. Our parents are massively confused and appalled by what's going on. Our siblings and children and stuff are looking up going, they're all mental because this is what it is now. I, it's massively confused at the moment. So yeah. where, where, just give me give me your kind of, you can go as deep as you want <laughs> on this, but how does this integrate itself into your kind of work with people or your understanding? I know you're on a journey at the moment. Yeah, yeah. and like, you know, we, we all we, we all go on the, this journey of like, you know, trying to become happy in our relationships, more fulfilled in our life, in our job, in our career, in our hobbies. Um, and, you know, for me, sexuality is a huge aspect of personal development that people are just so scared to go near yeah. <laughs> yeah. because it can be very raw and very ruthless and then there's also a lot of trauma around it so you know a lot of people have traumatic experiences yeah. or not the big traumatic experiences but also the micro traumas that i call them you know like these little incidents that happen very early on 
uh, when we get sexual or intimate with people and then we hold that for our whole lives, you know. Um, yeah, where to really start on it? It's a, <laughs> it's a great one because, you know, I've been on a journey of my own personal, uh, you know, looking at uh, sexuality and intimacy the last three years and it kind of really started in India for me when I did like um, some tantra workshops, uh, some intimacy workshops, some conscious relating, you know, consent, boundaries. Um, it's a it's a massive sphere, you know, it's a massive sphere of uh, inner work, personal development work. It's very much so linked into spirituality as well because you can have, you know, the whole tantric experiences of like divine union through sex and, you know, yeah. uh, becoming one with your partner and cycling the energy and presence um, and a lot of the, the intimacy stuff happens in the bedroom, you know, and a lot of people look for it intimacy in their lives when they don't have it with themselves or with their with their partner so people who may cheat with on their partner they they're not maybe intimate with their partner so they're looking for that intimacy outside and one night stands and all that sort of stuff yeah. so it's a huge sphere um of inner work you know and like i said i've been doing my own stuff the last number of years and i'm only starting to really step into a space where i feel i can start to speak about it because you know ultimately i need to have my own experiences i can't be telling people like stuff that I read in a book because that's just not me. Yeah, 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 fair. <laughs> so, you know, I have to have my experience around things and see how things progress, you know. Um, and then obviously, yeah, do my reading and and, and uh, learn from others who are, have, have been doing the work for years, you know. Um, and, you know, it's we're kind of at a point now where women are starting to reclaim their sexual power. You know, there's a lot of women talking about self-pleasure, masturbation, um you know, having multiple partners and, you know, moving into term of like slut and reclaiming that terminology um, uh, facing up to the trauma, to the, the lackluster sex lives that they have with their partners because, you know, they don't have sex in the dark or yeah. they only touch certain parts of the body and it's routine. So it's like there's stuff starting to happen. And I really noticed, you know, I was on this journey um, and then I was looking at Ireland. And I was like, I don't know anybody who's doing any sexuality work in Ireland for men. You know, <laughs> it's kind of like it's the same. It's like, oh, shit, does it have to be me again? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, if no one's speaking about it, like someone has to start speaking about it because like ultimately, you know, the women are speaking about it and they're doing a lot of work around it and they're reclaiming the power around their menstruation and connecting to that, too. Um, but men, it's just like it's a no go. So I started to do some sexuality circles and uh, a few numbers uh, a few years ago. Uh, and I was just so blown away by what is going on for men out there. And I was just like, oh, my God, I did not know that, you know, uh, guys of that age is still happening for them or they're caught in this loop. So, um, you know, it was really like raw and really a lot of guys were really kind of like, oh, my God, I can't believe that. And it gave people a big sense of like relief because they knew that others are feeling that way and that they, you know, had a, had someone to, to talk to uh, about it or to get it off their, their chest or share it. So, you know, there's like there's stuff like, you know, guys hooked on pornography and, um, you know, masturbating three, four times a day. Um, there's guys like paying massive subscriptions to pornography sites for camming, for OnlyFans, caught in that. There's, you know, um, you know, leaking your energy through masturbation. There's guys who have body dysmorphia, I've got guys who aren't comfortable with how they look performance anxiety, erectile dysfunction, guys not feeling masculine, manly enough, um, you know, not quite sure how to have sex, you know, guys, uh, you know, who are still older, who are still like maybe had one sexual experience or had, had, still haven't had any, who are put off it, you know, guys who also have been raped, 
uh, abused, have that trauma, and then, you know, sex for them is always angry, aggressive, uh, or no connection. Guys still filling the void with one night stands. You know, these are all things that, like, is going on for men, you know. Um, and, you know, if you're listening and some of those things kind of hit a bit home, it's kind of like, you know, you're not alone in it. You know, you there is people out there to help you through it, you know. Um, I would be surprised if every single man listening didn't, one thing you said they didn't, <laughs> didn't resonate with them. I'd be very surprised. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's everybody, I think. For sure, you know, and I can see a lot of that in myself as well, you know yeah. what I mean? And, you know, different stages of my life, you know, um, some of those things definitely would have happened, you know, definitely have been, you know, hooked up to pornography when I was younger at one point, you know, yeah. w- watching it all the time going, what the hell is all this? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think, sorry, to just w- an important thing to acknowledge about, especially pornography, is it's an industry again. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's what I was saying. It's, it's been driven at us here. That's so what I'm saying. You're a product. You, you know? are a product. Yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. And the likes of like OnlyFans and stuff like that. It's like, you know, creating women into a product um, and then men are buying that product and then they're caught in it. And, you know, not and it, also, also not to say that I've nothing against pornography. And I love to see 100%. the conscious porn industry is starting to start now where people are, you know, have proper bodies as in like they have like average bodies okay. and people are, you know, doing all the bloopers and stuff and that's kept in it you know so it's not this like polished sort of clean super muscly guy with a fucking massive cock uh, having sex with this woman with perfect body and massive boobs and she's like screaming the whole time (laughs) you know it's more like real life porn is starting to go out there and there's also a massive reclaim uh, reclaiming of power around you know women also uh, being able to show their sexuality and for you know reclaiming um that if that's what they want to do, then that's okay, and there's there should be no judgment against it, you know, and it's just, it's a, it's the same for men, but ultimately, you know, you think of the sex education in Ireland, <laughs> if anybody can remember, if they even had it, like you know, that was about twenty six minutes and forty years, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, um, so you know, ultimately, we haven't been given any framework to how to have good sex and how to be intimate and how to have uh, meaningful sex, you know, so a lot of it can come routine, so you know, a lot of my work was around you know, connecting to the breath, using different types of touch, different uh, different techniques, different practices to be able to get you in tune to your own body first, you know what I mean? Figuring out like, oh, I actually really like my calves being massaged or that feels really sensual when someone like rubs my ears and then maybe you ask your partner to do that because it's obviously nicer when someone else does it for you. Mm. But it's, it's about like figuring out your body and not being afraid to figure out your body. So connecting to like self-pleasure in a, in a, in a sort of really... Uh, beautiful manner you know and uh, follow a lot of Jenny Keane's work she does a lot for women and she talks about self-pleasure as a like a self-love meditative practice you know and yeah. I, I really love that when she said that and she's doing awesome work for women but there's just that lackluster from there's a lack of of that work for men so you know I've been doing a lot of circles around intimacy consent sharing what I've learned around consent Betty Wheels Martin of, or Betty Martin's Wheel of Consent around taking around giving around acts of service Um and boundaries as well like letting people firmly know like how you how you want the sexual experience to go like i don't want you to do this maybe i want you to do this maybe at this pressure being able to say no that's too much and then having uh, like a conscious conversation with people before during and after sexual experiences to make sure that like everybody feels safe everybody feels that they were getting something from it everybody feels empowered that no boundaries were crossed um because you know in the whole sexual sphere there's massive um, potential for like re-trauma 
traumatization to happen, you know, where yeah. something could happen and it could trigger yeah. some trauma in somebody where they could be like, oh my God, like that reminds me of when I was like molested or raped or, um, and then, you know, hopefully people who have had any of those experiences do get professionals like psychotherapy or help with those things because they're awful things and there's PTSD and people have PTSD and don't realize it until they go to therapy around these sort of things. Um, and, you know, there's sexuality, there's, we're, we're sexual beings ultimately as humans and we've been repressed again, yeah. uh, by the powers that be, uh, to not be able to connect to that part of us. So if that's constantly being shut down for you, that can actually cause you to get depressed and to suffer where you feel that you can't fully express who you are in the world if you are feeling sexual. And the same with intimacy, you know, being intimate with yourself and then being intimate with others. That's a part of connection, you know. So if you don't have that intimacy in your life, that might be why you're depressed. You know, that might yeah. be why you're feeling down. That might be why your relationship isn't so fulfilling because you're not being fully intimate with each other. Um, and that's it's a, such a big journey for people. And it's such a beautiful journey when you do like reclaim your sovereign sexual power, you know, as a man. Um, and, um, you know, moving into the different sort of avenues of being soft and sexual and then hard and sexual and, you know, having the yang in the sexual experience, but then having the yin, the soft, the gentle. Yeah. Um, and a big part of my own sexual journey was learning to receive. And I think that's a really big one for a man, just learning to lie there and like receive love or, or pleasure or goodness from somebody else. Um, and I think, you know, doing my massage therapy journey and getting you know lots of massage around the time and learning to just like let go of everything and relax and let this person you know um work out knots out of my body learn to receive that you know you know because i find when anybody's doing physical therapy they're giving you energy ultimately you know yeah. they're giving you their time their presence to try and help you in whatever way they can um and obviously in a professional capacity it shouldn't be sexual <laughs> but when you move into the the sexual sphere, it's like, okay, how much, how can I be really present in my body and how can I fully receive this without me having to go like, oh, I need to do you now or like, you know, I need to return the favor, you know? So there's all of these different dynamics in the sexual world that you can work through. And I'm sorry if I'm going on and no, on. No, man, it's amazing. But it's, it's, it's a so big nuanced. world. Yeah, it's a, bi it's, a, it's a big area of work that, you know, I've been really delving into and hopefully I'll be able to give back now and then in the next while with, with uh, something. Um, I don't know what it quite looks like yet, but it's it's broad. But you know, it's it's about you know getting people to get out of that comfort zone again and to try something different and new, um, and ultimately get reconnected to their body. Um, because I find a lot of men are disconnected from their body. We're so in our heads. We don't feel pleasure fully. We don't feel. We don't allow because we feel that you know it might be painful <laughs> if we start to feel these things. Yeah. Um, and it's for me, yeah, it is around self-love. It's around like loving your body, loving you, how exactly how you are, loving exactly how you um, make love as well and how you how you are intimate. So there's a lot of power to be rec reclaimed um, in that, that sphere too. That's unreal, man. That's unreal. <laughs> and it's it's just to, to pick up on, again on a few things because there's so much when you're speaking like that, there's so much value coming out there with, with, this, with things like pornography because I feel like this is a... You mentioned not just hardcore porn, but only fans and all this kind of stuff. There's two main issues I see there really with people. One is obviously this has been driven at us because it's, it's an industry and it changes the way that we understand what all what this world is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But those things like anything else, like alcohol and drugs and whatever, they're just things. And um, If we can decide how we interact with those things, if we're going to porn 
as a, a hole filler for our intimacy issues, well, then, you know, we can work on our intimacy issues and we can explore that boundary. But I find nobody even knows that that's a, an, op, an option nowadays. This is just the world we live in now and mm-hmm. we consume porn. And, and similarly with women, women empowering and reclaiming their sexuality is massively positive for everybody involved. But now it's being over, it's been industrialized again because now we have OnlyFans where you can make money. And I think it's amazing that a woman can make money doing whatever the hell she wants. But now if you don't do that, there's a problem with you. If you if you don't have an OnlyFans account or put a picture of your ass on Instagram or whatever it is, you're not playing the game when you're left out and it gives you, oh my God, it gives you personal anxiety and sexual anxiety and intimate anxiety. And so it's it, it's creating, there's no necessi- not necessarily a problem with a platform like OnlyFans. If you understand what it is, you can engage with it, but you can only really do that if you've worked on yourself, you're somewhat mature intimately or sexually yourself. So again, it's just how you interact with these things. Absolutely. And I feel it's the exact same for social media. Same. You know what I mean? I think if you're finding that like social media is making you anxious and it's causing you, you know, to be not feeling great, it's like ask yourself like, why are you, what, like, what is your intention from using? What are you using it for? Are you like comparing yourself to other people? Is it making you feel, uh, low self-esteem low self-worth well ask yourself like who are you following like what what are what are the messages that you're you're taking in so it's you know it's about content ultimately at the end of the day what content are you consuming yeah yeah (laughs) you know and is it uh is it good content or is it content that's like manipulating you or um you know and are you consciously just consuming this for entertainment or are you looking for something from this content yeah because they're two different things yeah like you can scroll instagram for 15 minutes or you can scroll instagram for 15 minutes and they can be two different experiences depending on where you are and I, I think for me around this, the sexuality, you know, I've started to post a little bit around it and do some circles. But, you know, it's it's totally been reflected then in the, my one to one work I have with guys, you know, they're they're opening up and they're sharing it. And even just sharing that stuff, it's like they get relief because they're like, oh, my God, I haven't told anybody that. Yeah. And then, you know, part of my job is to, you know, actively listen to them and then maybe guide them or, you know, uh, point them in the right direction you know I feel like if they have trauma they I can point them to a great psychotherapist if they want some tools and techniques and practices like yeah we can work on it we can do that you know so you know that's it's a it's a beautiful thing I think when guys step into that part of uh inner work in the intimacy boundaries consent um because you know it makes it better for everybody and you know consent is not taught in schools you know what I mean about you know, if you think teenage discos and even like places in town with people grabbing each other and, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. crossing boundaries and, you know, guys pushing for women to come home if they're saying no. And, you know, it's very, it's very murky and very, you know, sad out there. You know, it's like it's unconsciousness, you know, yeah. and people are looking for something, trying to fill a void or a, a vacuum. Yeah. So, you know, by sharing this stuff um, then you can get some guidance on. Well, maybe if you look at these sort of things that then your life might be a little bit better. You might be more fulfilled or happy or you'll understand what work you need to do, you know, because it, it, it it's it's work, you know, it's more inner work that you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating to me because as I listen to you speak about this topic in particular, I can see two different parts of my brain. <laughs> and one part of my brain is what I would have been for, I'm going to say 30 years, yeah. 29, 30 years. And it's the the people that we're appealing to now, most people, it's the part of my brain that would listen to you and go, would you ever stop fuck off about all this intimacy and I did tantric this and now I'm like, because that would have been the part of my brain that would go, this guy is just trying to get me to be some soft kind of push over <laughs> and go, just kind of go with this whole give women power the world narrative kind of thing. But the other part of my brain is only, it's, it's in its infancy and it's only two or three years old. And <laughs> anyone who knows me will laugh at this because it's the truth, which is the... the 
I'm just craving this knowledge. I'm listening to him going, yeah. I'm like standing up in my head going, this is amazing. This is what I need. I need to hear this. I need to learn this because I know I've had a super small taste of this and it's transformed the way I think about myself. It's transformed the interactions I have with everybody, not just my partner, with all my friends, my family, the way I look at Instagram, the way I watch TV. It's transformed everything for me and I'm only just starting. So I can I can see those two bits of my brain fighting with each other and why I think it's so powerful for, for the, the work that you do in the public eye, not just holding the, the circles and the one-to-ones and, and all the, the teaching, coaching and guidance that you do. Coming on my podcast, being on Instagram, telling people about this, there are people who are going to listen to this podcast, hopefully, and they might be in a position where they go, oh my God, I need that. Now, mm-hmm. I know that most people listening will have heard something that they kind of recognize. Like even I'm thinking to myself, imagine that guy, he hasn't told that to anybody, whatever he, he spoke to you about. Imagine having something that you know you want to tell someone, you don't tell anybody, your partner, anybody, your mom, your dad, your brother, your, your, your most loved friend, you don't tell them because you think it's so shameful or embarrassing. Right? You hold, Imagine that. There's loads of people, everyone has something like that, but imagine that I, I just, I probably still have things that I haven't told, I'm not even telling myself, but it's, it's really, really amazing mm-hmm. to hear you talk about this kind of stuff and these kind of experiences because it's, it's, it's a release. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, for me, it's like, yeah, like everyone can live their own lives and do what they want. They don't have to be me. They don't yeah, have to yeah. do what I'm doing or get involved in anything they want to get involved. But like, if you're not happy, like, why are you carrying that around? You know, if you're suffering inside, if you feel that you're not connecting to your purpose or you're stuck or your life isn't fulfilled, like, what are you doing about it? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you have to do something to you know, create change in your yeah. life. You know, we can have all the intentions, all the goals, but if you're not actually like taking the action, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to shift. Nothing's going to change. Um, And yeah, it's interesting. You, you said a word there that I, I wanted to use, but I hadn't got a chance to use it yet. It was shame, you know? Yeah. Man, do we have the worst Ooh. shame here in Ireland yeah. about sex and intimacy and our bodies, you know, like, it's terrible. Like you go to other countries and on the beaches, you know, people are like naked sometimes. Festivals, people are, are naked in other countries. Um, you know, us as Irish people, we have such a repression around our, our bodies, you know, and the whole sexual sphere, you know, like it's it's really deep, you know, it runs really deep around, you know, not being able to have sex outside marriage and then guilt and shame if you have a child out of that and all the atrocities that happened around around that, you know, and, you know, priests telling boys, you know, if you wank, you'll go blind. And like all the, we know, there's all those different stories out there about, you know, creating guilt and shame around our sexuality. And ultimately it's disempowerment again, you know, it's like we've been disempowered to avoid that part of our human condition. Um, So, you know, I was like so out of my comfort zone when I was doing workshops in, in India um, because of, you know, just watching people from other countries just like, you know, how they danced up against each other and how they touched each other. And I was just like, oh, my God, you can nearly always spot the people from Ireland and England at any of the workshops because we're like wooden boards, you like know, a teenage disco on either side of the room. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But like that, see, exactly like that sort of stuff used to happen, you know, yeah. like the Kayleys and stuff like that, you know, um, years ago. But to see it reflected from other cultures and other nationalities, like about, you know, being Irish and the shame and the guilt and the repression that we had is like really intense, you know. So it is, it's super tough work and it's challenging work and, you know, fair play to anybody who pushes themselves out into it because I think it takes tons of courage. Oh, yeah. You know, Um, and yeah, it can it can lead to like such a deeper, loving, happy life 
when we get that whole aspect of our life under control, you know, and, you know, if it's not, that's why people cheat. That's why people go off and do things that they're not, um, you know, happy about. It's because that area of their life isn't working. It isn't uh, fulfilling them. Um, but like, you know, you can get help around that area and it can work out so much better for both of you. It's not just your partner and yeah. not just you, you know, like who doesn't want to be just having class sex all the time or being really intimate with their partners? Like who doesn't want that? Yeah. Like, you know, who doesn't even want to walk in the door and just smile when they see their partner or have a deep conversation. Like yeah. it's, it's all areas of intimacy, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. hundred percent. And like, even like hugging now, you know, it's like, yeah. Uh, yeah, especially now, yeah, with the social distancing and all that, yeah. You know, like, that's also been, like, taken away and, you know, it's been, um, you know, the touch, the aspect of touch in the world is so important for us as humans. And I think, you know, we're, we're touch starved a lot of the time. Yeah. And that ultimately makes us sick because we need that connection, you know, like touching each other creates dopamine, oxytocin, all the other hormones. It's, it's feel good, you know. Um, and yeah, we need to, we need to have, we need to have that contact, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And when we don't, that's when, you know, we feel alone and isolated and we have that empty void and vacuum in our lives. So. Yeah. Yeah. I shook someone's hand the other day accidentally and we both nearly broke down crying. Like, yeah. What the hell is this? We're yeah. touching hands. Um, did you ever read Sebastian Younger's book, Tribe? No. no, no, I think you'd love oh, it. Oh, which one is that? Um, uh, so he's a war journalist. Oh um, no, I am, no, he's a war journalist, and he spent a lot of time traveling with uh, military American military units, compact small groups of brothers who went off to do a mission together. Now, whatever you think about the American military and, and the politics behind it, whatever, but it's actually appealed to me. I said this before. I think when I was young, I always really looked at like the American military, the the super elite units of like eight or nine guys going off to do a mission because all I kept seeing was these guys, they love each other, they back each other, they're with each other, they're on a mission, they've got purpose, they're all keeping each other alive. So Younger spent a lot of time as a war journalist with these groups and followed them when they came home and noticed how hard they found it to reintegrate into society or to get normal jobs because there was no sense of brotherhood or connection or tribe or community or purpose. Tribe, hence the name of the book, Tribe. Yeah. So he applied this across a global study where he was looking at people in a normal everyday life versus natural disasters. So we looked at the Hurricane Katrina, for example, and the absolute devastation that that had on the area and on the people, but how happy they were because they all came together as a community and a tribe and supported each other and had a, had a, a, a global purpose. We have to rebuild. Mm. We have to, I need to take care of your children and we need to rebuild this house together and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it was, it, it kind of boiled down to that sense of, connection and belonging and whether it's through physical touch or through community or through shared experience or through uh, like uh, talk about intimacy these people were now sleeping hundreds of people beside each other with no homes they shared every intimate part of their lives with each, with the community and with each other and it broke down all those barriers again mm. and people in his uh, estimation were so much happier compared to the likes of the average person working their job and he, he talked about neighbours which you mentioned earlier on and the gardens are getting bigger and the walls are getting higher and the windows in the car are getting darker and we're, we're just shutting out our neighbours and our community and the rest of the world mm -hmm. um, and this this pandemic now has been a massively extreme illustration of that and the rates of I mean I've talked to, to several doctors the rates of depression and anxiety being treated medically now with pills and stuff like that it's gone through the roof mm -hmm. right to suicide and depression and anxiety and all these kind of things have gone through the roof and it's it's I, I understand people struggle with work and jobs and stuff like that but the lack of human connection a lack of intimacy lack of all that kind of stuff so uh, it's it's really powerful really powerful stuff when you drill right down to the core of what all this stuff revolves around 
yeah. connection, spirituality, intimacy. Absolutely. And, you know, we're running lots of retreats here in, in, in Ireland around connection. Like yeah. they're purposely for connection. So, you know, in the Netherlands, we do the psychedelic work. But here in Ireland, um, you know, because we couldn't do the work last last year. Um, oh, of course, yeah. Uh, in the Netherlands, uh, when we could have some retreats here in Ireland, we kind of use a very similar framework that we use uh, over there, but just without the psychedelics. Yeah. And we really found from those retreats, the true medicine was connection. You know, people yeah. were connecting to themselves, to each other, to the sacred sites, the natural world, being, you know, out in nature, jumping in in the lakes or the sea, being in the elements. Um, and yeah, connection, self-expression, creativity, those sort of things when done or like creativity and, you know, singing and dancing. When done with, with people, it's like it, it just it's 10 times better than like just dancing in your room by yourself or just yeah. singing by yourself you know you know yourself if you go to a gig it's amazing you're there with everybody everybody's happy looking at each other wow that's amazing you yeah, know yeah. it's that real big feel good moment you know because you're in um, with other people we're social creatures you know what I mean so um, yeah for me a lot a lot of the, the next kind of few years is going to be around connection I feel and I really hope by the work that you know we're trying to do on others around creating these communities um, that people will start to connect more, you know, and it would be more and more real connections, you know yeah. what I mean? Real heartfelt connections, uh, realness, you know, people being really real with each other, like reducing all this stigmas and crap that like, you know, um, you can't tell people how you truly feel or what's going on for you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think we're in we're in a really, really good time. And I think the pandemic has, you know, it's created a lot of hardship for a lot of people, but I think it's given the people a lot of big wake up you know, in, in many aspects of their lives, you know, if they're not living, you know, their their life fully or they're in a job that they're not enjoying or, yeah. you know, they're in a place that they don't want to be, um, you know, they're or around people that they don't want to be around, yeah, you know. So yeah. it's it's given people a lot of time to reflect, to be, um, and that is the 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 yin, you know what I mean? Being yes. not doing, you know, because in 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 life we can we can be constantly doing the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, but that doesn't actually allow us to fully connect to ourselves. Sometimes it's like we're reaching for the next thing so that we don't be present or we don't be... We don't have know. to think about what's actually going on. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly, yeah. And that's that's the masculine, you know what I mean? Yeah. Moving forward, constantly doing. Um, or the yang. Uh, yang. Um, so, yeah, when we create these spaces for people to just drop in, connect and be, that's when, you know, people are really, really, really getting the benefits of, okay. of you know what it is to be a, a, a human being and then making making them feel happy and fulfilled, you know? Yeah, yeah, beautiful. I, I'm just conscious, I don't want to drag this out for a 10-hour podcast, but there's one area I do want to touch on just because, I mean, if I'm going to talk to about anybody about this, it's going to be you, is the area of psychedelics. Mm -hmm. And because obviously, remind me again, your, your studies were in... Uh, so genetics, yeah, but plant-based, yeah, yeah, genetics plant -based. and stuff yeah. like that, yeah. And now a huge part of what you do in the Netherlands involves psychedelics. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe give me a, a little bit of background on how you became involved in the non, uh, I suppose, scientific. Well, it's still scientific, but yeah. not not as a scientist, but as a as a person. And then how you use these substances um, in in your your kind of work. Because one thing I am hyper aware of in this country is there's still now maybe not among certain circles but there's still a massive stigma around drugs mm -hmm. it's the word drugs and it's just it's all encompassing word he's using drugs and if he looks really happy it's because he's out of a tree on drugs it's not because <laughs> he's having a good a, a, a profound experience yeah. um, and I've had extremely limited but extremely powerful experiences with this and I'm very interested in this landscape and how it looks um, and I'm, I'm 
so excited that people like you are moving this forward and bringing it to, to the forefront of the Irish psyche as well. Obviously, there's legal issues in this country with, with the use of it and stuff like that, but even the education side of it is so powerful. Um, but maybe a little bit of uh, your story with, with drugs. Barry, yeah, tell yeah, me about your yeah, drugs. Absolutely, it's such a funny word, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's a whole area that's now been also rewritten, you know, yes. because there was ultimately a war on drugs. And I see it as a war on consciousness, you know. Um, people, wow, people. That's powerful. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, I probably didn't coin that, but it's, it's already out there. Get, get, it, get it done straight away. Um, yeah, I think I heard that probably from someone else. But, um, you know, in the in, in the 60s and 70s, there was a counterculture in the United States. People started to use different substances, mostly LSD and psilocybin. Um, and this started to, you know, let people see, you know, the society yeah, for what it was, you okay. know, the matrix. Pull back the curtain, yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think the main pushback against it all came when people weren't signing up for the draft for the Vietnam War and pushing them back against that and quitting their jobs and stuff. They didn't, you know, they didn't like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and back then there was like amazing, amazing work being done with these substances, you know, for trauma, for PTSD, on veterans, on lots of different uh, mental health conditions. Um, and the pushback was so great that it really stopped any of that research from happening. So, you know, there was amazing pioneer work being done back there. So that was like the the psychedelic uh, renaissance, you know, yeah. it, w it was starting. Um, and now I think we're in a bit of the revolution, you know, um, where the science is really starting to catch up again because it's being allowed to be done. And I think more is being allowed to be done now because, you know, um, you can't you can't ignore it. You know, it's like these substances are having huge change for people, you know what I mean, in the most positive way. And don't get me wrong, you know, like psychedelics aren't for everybody, you know, so there's a lot of like checks and balances you need to figure out before you have a psychedelic experience, you know, um, it could be family history of psychosis, schizophrenia, severe depression, suicidal ideation, if you're on different types of SSRIs or the medication, uh, you know, you might not be suitable for it. So like psychedelics aren't for everybody. Um, and that's why it's really good to, you know, work with someone who's experienced and who can do the screening and make sure that you're in a, a psychologically well space to be doing that type of work. Um, it doesn't happen all the time, unfortunately. And that's why, you know, um, you hear the horror stories, you hear the horror stories, you know, so yeah. people having bad trips, you know yeah. what I mean? Which are, you know, maybe those pr people shouldn't been taking them. So a lot of my work around harm reduction, around giving people the tools and the understanding to work with psychedelics. Um, you know, uh, the psychological framework, you know, uh, Rob, business partner, he's a lot around that. He's a trained psychotherapist and Jungian psychotherapist and he's on the way to be a transpersonal therapist. So he has huge knowledge in that sphere, you yeah. know what I mean? Um, and that's why we work so well together. Talk about the A-team, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and yeah, I think my own personal journey, you know, I had really, really earth-shattering, profound experiences on psychedelics where it completely changed my life, you know, for the better. And it was challenging, you know, a lot of stuff had to go and I had to let go of a lot of stuff. I had to um, leave a lot of stuff behind that I felt that was like part of who I was in the world. And, you know, stepping away from that and into the new version of who I want to be. Um, and yeah, amazing plant medicine experiences. There's lots of different type of psychedelics out there, you know, um, and different ones are being shown to do different things now. Um, so, you know, ketamine for uh, severe depression, psilocybin for lots of different stuff, uh, anxiety, end of life anxiety. Psilocybin is mushrooms just for people yeah, who don't. Yeah, magic mushrooms, don't know. you know, um, 
there's, you know, uh, peyote, San Pedro, uh, you know, PTSD. There's like DMT out there. Became <laughs> famous with Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan experience, yeah. you know. Um, people having ego solution, being able to see outside of like who they are and identity and pain body. Um, there's iboga or ibogaine um, from Africa, you know, for people with uh, heroin, uh, opioid addiction, yeah. chronic alcohol um, abuse. It really helping people with, with, with those sort of really, really tough uh, conditions, you know. Um, ayahuasca, uh, there's, you know, there's lots of different uh, psychedelics. Um, they work in different ways. Some of them people resonate with some and some people go, never doing that again, you know. Yeah. Um um, but the research is really catching up now. And for me, you know, having these personal experiences a lot when I was a- abroad and, you know, I was very fortunate in the Netherlands that truffles were are legal, you know, so you can, you, our, our whole business in Rebound, the psychedelic retreats that we run are based in the Netherlands purely because that's where we can work yes. legally. You know, we have a registered business, we pay our taxes, do all the boring <laughs> stuff yeah. um, and adhere to all the correct safety protocol and ethics guidelines. And not a lot of people do that. So there's no, like I said, the charlatans in any business, you yeah. know, people are trying to make a quick book. People are getting re-traumatized. There's a lot of sexual abuse in the psychedelic sphere, uh, which is really terrible, you know, but it's a shadow, you know, that's the human condition, you know, pe- humans want power. Yeah. You know, there's different cultural norms, different societal norms. So like, you know, if you're doing ayahuasca in the middle of the rainforest with a tribe, you know, their ethics are different to the Western ethics, you know. So, you know, st- you know, stuff is happening down there that, you know, are is, is traumatizing people and people are left really destabled, destabilized after it. And, you know, people who are maybe on medication for for certain things and then you know, the the shaman or the people holding the space are telling, oh, like, oh, medication's bad. You need to get that toxic stuff out of your system. And then they're having, like, really bad problems after because they're not taking whatever it is, like their blood pressure medication or medication for, like, you know, their stomach or whatever it is, you know. Um, So, you know, I'm really fortunate as a scientist how I approach these things, trying to be as diligent as possible, following breast best practices because there's a lot of research out there you know there's amazing organizations Beckley Foundation MAPS uh, Imperial Psychedelic Society or Psychedelic um, Institute in uh, Imperial College London John Hopkins University they have a psychedelic so- yeah, centre now and guys like Tim Ferriss obviously big 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 names yeah Angel Investors Angel putting all, investors their, all their money in all the money into yeah, this research yeah. because they've had profound experience themselves and yeah. they know the the potential of these uh, substances for change in your consciousness your awareness uh, work through owners of trauma personal development um, you know so for me in a personal aspect like I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for being led down on the psychedelic path very, very early on, you know. So, you know, I didn't do any drugs until I was 24, you know. Sorry, man, not the cops. (laughs) (laughs) But I was, you know, I was straight laced. I had that sort of stigma and I had that bias that drugs were bad. That's what I literally thought. And then when I had an experience, I was like, oh, my God, I've been totally lied to. And then it was like all the, the cards in the house house of cards yeah, fell yeah. you know so you start to see things very differently and that's what we find on people who come to the Netherlands on the retreats they you know watch something on like uh, Fox News or uh, CNBC or whatever and these people who they put their faith and trust into you know the news anchors or um, celebrities who say like oh this actually worked for me that's when they'll go oh like I look up to that person and now they're saying it you know and now I'll do it and same with science so like science is the language of our society. You know, nothing really gets done in society unless the science proves it's good or it's not um, not harmful. 
and you know there's soft sciences there's behavioral studies there's um lots of different types of sciences we, like weaved in it's not just like the lab sciences you know yeah. so the social sciences that's yes. the word i was looking for are showing that you know when people have these experiences that it's creating meaningful and necessary change in their life and people are having not just um resolution of trauma but they're also getting um an understanding for like what they want from their life so purpose clarity musicians are are uh, having psychedelic experiences to get rid of like writer's block uh, creativity flow states you know um i think a lot of the music that came in the 70s and the 60s was because people were doing psychedelics you know yeah. they were having like they completely changed um the kind of the the genre of um of music due to psychedelics um and we find in our retreats you know um because i'm a scientist rob's a psychotherapist and we really follow a lot of the the, the science out there and we work um, very similar to Stanislav Grof, who uh, worked a lot with LSD um, in, in those early years. And then he, he created holotropic breathwork, which is um, a breathwork modality to access altered states of consciousness yeah. for healing. So being able to connect to a higher power, your innate healing intelligence. So he, he devised that, but he was, you know, still promoting psychedelics in the background, even though he couldn't work with them legally. Um, Oh, lost my train of thought there. But, uh, you know, their work, they work for a lot of people in a lot, in a lot of ways, you know. And like I was saying, because we follow the science, a lot of uh, psychotherapists are coming on retreats, scientists are coming on retreats, doctors, people in the medical health professional, because, you know, we have so many people now who are doing it and they're going to their therapist going, I had this profound oneness experience and I saw my ancestors and I saw trauma when I was a child because I took ketamine. And the, the therapist is like, what? What? You know, yeah, like they've yeah. no framework because they've never tried it themselves. Yeah. And only in their mind is like, this person is doing drugs. Like I need to help them. Yes. You know, they need a recovery program, you of know, different drugs of different drugs, yeah. you know, or, you know, um, so I like, I love being in the sphere that I'm in and haven't gone on a lot of that journey and to work with so many people who are having psychedelic experience. So a big part of my work is preparing people and doing integration with them yeah. and having someone to talk to about their experiences who, who understand. And then obviously getting to be in that space in the Netherlands, you know, because I've done my own work, I've done my, my research and, you know, my, all my training is around trying to help people in that space with like as much compassion and love as possible. And then, really lucky that we have an inter interdisciplinary team of, you know, Rob who's trained as a psychotherapist and, you know, anybody who comes in retreats do counselling um, and we make sure they have the right set, the right setting, the substances, we know what works. Um, so trying to create the perfect environment for people to have those profound experiences. And then people also have the mystical experiences. So connecting to spirituality, to oneness, to meeting past loved ones, having resolution in that, like being able to tell maybe the grandmother that, they love them and that, you know, they, they see an image of them and, you know, they can let go of the grief, the suffering, the pain. Um, or, you know, they have different experiences of meeting power animals, you know, the more shamanic yeah, aspect yeah. of the world or having an experience where they're a tree or an indigenous person, you know, around a campfire or being connected to the elements or connected to other people through oneness or ego to solution. So there's many different types of experiences out there. And, you know, people can have an intention for what they're coming in, but generally, like, they get what they're given, you know. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, I firmly believe that the experience that people have then, even if it's really, really challenging, you know, I don't think there's any bad trips. There's really challenging trips that, like, that's where a lot of the growth can be. So they've actually done research on that, that like, people who have these really challenging experiences, they have the most change in their lives then after it. 
yeah. because then they have the psychological follow-up support where they can take meaning from it themselves and then they can be given the tools and the techniques and the practices that to then you, like work with what came up you know so we were talk, kind of talking about that a little bit earlier like yeah. people like you know hear this stuff or they go to this thing but then they don't know what to do after so yes. you know a big part of the psychedelic work is around integration and being able to take the lessons that you've learned and implement it into your daily life so that you create positive change in your day to day you yeah, know yeah that's what I think is so important event and, and amazing breakdown actually of the of the world of psychedelics but that's what I think is so so important about understanding for people who don't know what this is or what it is the, the, the drug stigma is there it is just another tool all of these substances are just more tools to facilitate you to do the work that maybe you've got you've, you've barriers up you've issues you've trauma you've stuff in the way these are tools that when used properly can help you like anything else like alcohol like like intimacy like everything we spoke about like food like training it's another tool in the toolbox that you can use and i what you said just at the very end there with my limited experience it was my big 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 takeaway is what this has just shown me what's possible i don't have to do ketamine or, or psilocybin every single day now i'm not, I'm not I don't have to have this medication in my life forever now I can use it to facilitate a state of mind where I can take things, tools, understandings, experiences, lessons, stories, learnings. And then when I've finished and the, the drugs are no longer in my system, if you want to call it that, now I have work to do. Now I have things I can work on. I've seen things. I've heard things. People have this traditional kind of um, view of I take the drugs and I'll, I'll see my whole life laid out before me. It's, it can be like that, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But it... it that there's many, many, many versions of what that looks like. Yeah, and there's, it's not they're not magic bullets. They're not know? magic bullets. You know, yeah. a lot of it is around expectations as well, letting people know that like, you know, you may not get exactly what you want if you come on this retreat, but it may bring you in a direction that you didn't think that you needed to go in. You know what I mean? And that's ultimately where it could be. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So like, yeah, they're amazing amazing to use but like people can also chase that experience and they want to do more ayahuasca and they want to do more peyote and if that, uh, that's a form of escapism then they're not really doing the work I yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah you know we say like the real like you know it's definitely work when you're doing the experience on yeah. the treat but the real work is after creating yeah. that positive change in your life you know um, a really interesting one just to tie in a couple of things we spoke about today was when I when I um I spoke to a few people who would have done uh, the ketamine therapy, for example, and were very still very religious people. They had very deep, devout religious beliefs. And they their interpretation of it was they saw God. And what I got from that was they had the exact same realization that I did. I don't believe in God. They do. But we realized there's more. There's a there's a bigger world than what I've created for myself in my own head. Mm -hmm. Their version of that is God and heaven and this. But it, Realistically, that's what we all want. We all want this sense of something that's bigger than ourselves. We all have this thing in our head that there, there is a, a bigger thing than me here. Is it God? Is it heaven? Is it community? What is it? And I had that realization. It wasn't God I saw. Mm -hmm. I actually saw Joe Rogan. <laughs> but it was uh, but a lot of people who were religious going in. That was their context. They had yeah. a similar experience, but they saw like, oh, my God, it's real. This is real. Now I can continue to work towards this and practice my beliefs. And for religious people, their beliefs are whatever your particular religion are. But in general, be good to other people, love other people, respect other people. That's, they're generally the foundations of most religious mm -hmm. and, and they should be the foundations of everything we do. Mm -hmm. And for me, I had a very similar experience, but there was no God there. It was love people mm -hmm. but like this big thing of energy I wasn't a person I didn't have all the things that make me Dan I, I don't have the words I'm not articulate enough to describe this but all of the things that make me Dan went there there was nothing there I didn't have a body I didn't have anything I was just this 
we're not even a thing, energy. And that's yeah. the people are going, oh, here we go, talking about the energy again. I don't have words to describe what but, it was. But, th- but that's the thing, when you when you go into the psychedelic space and have those psychedelic experiences, they're beyond language. <laughs> yeah, there's no word. There is no words. Yeah, yeah there's no there's no words. And there's, I think there's actually a word for that, you know. It, yeah. Uh, and then you get these kind of, they're called platitudes. So it's yeah. like you get these messages of like, all you need is love. Yeah, and yeah, you yeah. are love. And, you I know. actually I wrote I have the book here I wrote I was writing when I was coming out of this yeah. whatever I don't know what this experience I was just writing and I was all those platitudes yeah be the change you want to be in oh, the world. 100%. Like, you know it's like but yeah, like yeah. You're, you're in that space and you actually feel them for being true and you're like oh my god like you, know. so you write the way your your brain knows to actually put them on paper but there's so much meaning behind those platitudes yeah yeah, yeah. yeah um, no. you mentioned kind of doctors and lawyers and stuff like that what what are the not not what did they do but what are the type of people that you're working is it everybody is it oh just yeah everybody? it's everybody it's it's all walks of life you know like, i think the oldest person we've had is like in their late 80s wow. you know and we have like yeah people in their early 20s all different professions um ultimately it's like you know anybody is on a search for meaning on a search for you know trying to change something in their life um you know, people who hear that, you know, psilocybin is now working for people with uh, mild depression or anxiety. They want to just try it straight away, you know, because, you know, some people we've had have said, like, I've been doing 15 years of talk therapy yeah. and, you know, doing one psilocybin session was like more than what I've done in 15 years, you know. And that's not to say that talk therapy is, is crap, you know, it really works for a lot of people. But some people just have such like hurt and pain or trauma or ego defense mechanism that I just can't ever get in. Where psychedelics can just like get straight in, you know what I mean? It can yeah. like open open that that space up, and then you can do more talk therapy after, which you have a lot to work with. You know, people are really disconnected from their bodies, not feeling their bodies, feeling them for the first time in in years. Um, you know, I feel so humble and so grateful to be in that work. You know, and doing it um, uh, in the Netherlands now. You know, uh, I think we're in our third year now. So, and I've sat with over well into the hundred of people. You wow. know who've had these experiences and been there with them. And it's amazing to follow up with people, you know, how they shift and change their lives or have happier families or happier relations after them or then go on to do different things. And Would that be consistent across most people who go through yeah, this process? Yeah, there's usually like, you know, 80 to 90% of people would have, the ex- would have the experience that they want. You know, there's always a small portion that they don't. They have to go off and do more work or yeah. maybe that's not the medicine for them. Maybe they need something else, you know, or a different container or different yeah, guides yeah. and, you know, it's about, you know, also checking in what works for you. You know, some some people you'll resonate with and they will be able to help you. And then some people you won't, you know what I mean? Because you might just have a clash in yeah. ideology or how you see the world or um, how it's how it's set up or how it's done, you know. So uh, for me, you know, I'm really about bridging the the science the sp- with the with the spiritual aspect, you know, and then, you know, weaving in the shamanic practice as well. And creating that container for, for people to have those kind of uh, experiences that they're after in the most safe and like effective way as possible. Yeah, I, f- I feel like someone like you has a very good chance of bridging this gap between the traditional. Ah, the pressure. Yeah, uh, well, no pressure now, but we're live. Um, you'd mentioned yeah, talk therapy there, and with the mental health services in Ireland get an an awful bashing and many of us know people have been through these systems and it hasn't necessarily worked the way it's supposed to work but I think they're an important part of a much bigger picture and for a long time we've just ignored the bigger picture and if you have an issue with depression, anxiety, mental health, identity, whatever you're sent through this mental health thing which is mostly talk therapy based if it's not you're, you're medicated but most people aren't in a position like I mentioned earlier on where that 
they can actually connect with that therapy. The therapy, there's nothing wrong with the therapy if the person is in a position where they're ready for some sort of talk therapy or to explore something. And where someone like you comes in using all of the techniques you've spoken about today, not just psychedelics. Psychedelics are a very powerful tool for breaking down, as you said, that hammer on the consciousness, breaking down all these barriers that stop us from engaging in talk therapy. Mm-hmm. But there's other ways of doing it as well. Um, and I think what I would like to see over the next five, 10, 20 years, whatever, is an understanding from both sides, because you do get a lot of people on, I'm going to call it our side of the fence, but who are involved in this kind of world as well, who bash the traditional medical system. Yeah. But realistically, there are people who want to help as well, doing the work. I'm not talking about the, the bigger kind of the pharma companies and stuff like that. I'm talking about the dirt, the nurses and the doctors and the psychotherapists. They're, they're trying to help people genuinely, but maybe people in a, in a, a mental health perspective aren't in a position where talk therapy will help them. And then the only other thing they have as a go-to is SSRIs will medicate you for the rest of your life and you're just going to live in the grey forever. We're never going to do the work. You're never going to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll give you the meds and then we'll do the talking. Oh, you've calmed down. Super. That person's now calmed and not a danger to themselves as society. They're healed. Hooray. And send them on. Yeah. And everyone knows that doesn't work. But what else is there is, is kind of the question that's been, what, what do you want us to do about it? This is the system. Whereas what you're trying to do or what you are succeeding in doing, excuse me, you're not trying is you are very effectively bridging that gap and you're showing that talk therapy is probably the biggest thing you do, but only when it's facilitated by the correct environment, setting, setting, potentially a psychedelic experience, maybe not, potentially breath work, maybe not. But then you put people in a position where, and that's why you say, once the experience is done, now the work starts. Now we start to talk. Now we mm-hmm. start to get into it. And maybe that person now could go and talk to a therapist or a friend. And then, then the whole talk to somebody thing makes sense to people because they realize oh, the reason I couldn't tell anybody was because I've built this whole picture of myself in my head that if I tell someone, they're going to laugh at me or I'm going to be kicked out by society or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, you break that illusion and then the people are ready for the talk therapy. So that integration between traditional mainstream medicine, it, there shouldn't be a traditional and non-traditional. It should just be we're helping people here. And I think you're the guy to do it. <laughs> yeah, oh, thanks for that. Um, yeah, and, and, and like, you know, there, even though I was reading something recently around like alternative medicine, the you words know, like alternative medicine was not altern or not alternative until the Western medicine came in and it, made it, it alter- was medicine. Yeah, it was medicine. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you know, yeah, you're right. It's like about blending the Western medical model with the kind of Eastern sort of holistic and spiritual practices that have been there for thousands of years of age for ages. You know, yeah. um, you know, with regards to the mind body connection and somatic therapy and not treating people as just like mental problems. It's also body is physical too. Yeah. It's like emotional, physical and spiritual. So like all of those things need to be ticked for a person to be well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one part that we haven't really talked about yet, and I know we're probably getting to the end, end of time. I'm not in a rush, so <laughs> if you want to talk about it, let's go. Um, it's the whole aspect of, you know, treating people who use substances as criminals, yeah. you know, and then putting them through the criminal system and um, the services that we have for those people and how there's like a lot of shaming there too. And um, ultimately as well, like with regards to a lot of the plant medicines and psychedelics, like they're part of nature, you know. They're natural. They're from the natural world, you know, and that's an, that's another disconnection that we've had. It's we've been told that like these herbs and these remedies that are they're they're not they're not good, you know what I mean? Because they're not part of the Western medical model. And excuse me, there's lots of you know um, power structures there with uh, certain industries well um, that like don't want these things getting out to the world because like if you can have something like 
psilocybin treat depression, then there's like thousands of mainstream medications that are just deep gone then. And that's industries, that's jobs, that's money, it's revenue that's all gone out the window for something that's natural from the world. It can be grown really cheaply and really, really easily, you know, in terms of mushrooms, you know. And we're very fortunate here to be in Ireland that we can pick them ourselves, you know, in the winter. Um, is it illegal here to pick a mushroom outside and eat it yourself? Yeah, if it's psychedelic. Yeah, is it? Yeah. So you know that that's an that by itself is mental. Yeah. So that's another thing. Is like it's it's another uh, ultimate control disconnection from nature. Um, and I know like these things do come in for you know reasons, but in, in Ireland it was like uh, there was a pushback, and I think it was two thousand six. You know. Uh, someone took their life, unfortunately, but they had a cocktail of stuff in their lives. And, you know, I think it was like mushrooms got the bad press and then they were banned, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but, you know, I see mushrooms as our indigenous plant medicine, you know, for thousands of years, Irish people would have probably used um, magic mushrooms for healing, you know, psilocybin, semi-lanceata, liberty caps. Um, you know, we had a rich culture of the druids, you know, they, yeah, they were yeah. the ones that probably would have worked with these um, uh, entheogenic uh, plants for uh, for healing, for uh, divination, for community, trying to figure out community problems of connecting to nature, of uh, something higher than themselves, a higher power, uh, trying to find the wisdom and understanding it would have been around probably ritual. Um, and, you know, in other countries, the, the shamans, you know, they, they still have those lineages alive. So there is like procedures and protocols that they have in place where in Ireland, you know, they've been lost. So people are just going to festivals, eating mushrooms, having these profound experiences and then not knowing what to do with them. Yeah. So we don't have it in our culture. And that's one thing that we're really passionate about now is trying to educate people around them. Psychedelic harm reduction. We have a, you know, a, a course coming out, introduction to psychedelic uh, therapy that'll be online in the winter. And it's given people, you know, 10 weeks of the really nuts and bolts of uh, how psychedelics work, you know what I mean, f for yourself and, you know, if you want to become a space holder in the future, it will give you like a good broad uh, foundation in how to work with them and everything you need to know from shadow work, harm reduction, Jungian psychology, transpersonal psychology, uh, uh, trauma informed uh, work, you know, it's it's all going to be, it's all going to be in there. Um, but we need the education, you know, and there's only certain institutes in the world now that are allowed to work with psychedelics that are getting the licenses. Uh, it's really slow. Some countries are really going full power now. Like the United States are the ones that like clamped down, made the whole world clamp down. And now they're opening the doors again. And they're just like blazing it at yeah. the moment, you know, like some... Um, some say it's, it's legal. Yeah, they're decriminalizing it, you know, all plant medicine. There's, you know, marijuana has been legalized yeah. there and... Um, magic mushrooms and would ayahuasca. marijuana be included in some of the? Would that wouldn't be included in plant medicine, would it? Uh, well, some people would say it is, yeah, and I, okay. I, def I definitely think it is, okay. um, because you know people are healing themselves with high levels of THC. Yes. Um, and uh, Santa Maria is marijuana in some uh, indigenous okay. culture traditions, and they use it during breath work and ayahuasca ceremonies, and it has a spirit to it itself if you do a high enough dose of it. Um, and it does help people with different things. Um, so, like, you know, there is a lot of research coming out around marijuana now. And, you know, it's really annoying that countries like Ireland are still push, pushing back against it, you know. Yeah. Um, there's amazing people in this country like Vera Toomey, oh, yeah, whose yeah. who's, who's poor kid um, has a condition where they need to have, you know, THC to be able to not have seizures. Um, and that medication is, like 
really out of reach because it's so expensive and there's only certain people can give it and it's a license around it and it's a power structure thing again it's you know it's top down you know people certain people want to be the only ones who can prescribe it certain companies are the only ones that can produce it and um, you know certain people can only take it if they can afford it you know yeah. it's like it's it's a nightmare when the science is showing that these things when legalized when taxed when people are have the education around it that it's it's actually really fine for society and it creates less problems, you know. Like you think in Canada, when Vancouver legalized, uh, or sorry, in the United States, when I think it was Colorado legalized marijuana, they had so much money and revenue from taxes on it. They didn't know what to do with the money. Jesus. You know, they were like repaving roads and get, like schools had so much money because people were allowed to choose what they wanted to consume, you know. So it's again against sovereignty, against uh, personal power as well, what you can put into your own body and you having the right over your own body and what you consume and you have the right to explore your consciousness and the right to explore your mind and who's to say that so someone says you can't explore your mind you're not allowed to go to that field and pick that mushroom and eat it and have a, a spiritual experience like who like you know what why do we have why are we listening to those people like, <laughs> oh, we kinda, yeah we know, we know the answer because you it's been forced on us and just you might i don't have this information you might have this information when you have a place a state a country or whatever that does legalize something like marijuana all of the reasons we don't. It's a gateway drug. It's going to lead to crime. It's going to lead to death. It's going to lead to all this mad stuff. All these reasons that they're giving us whatever the actual reasons are. They don't want to legalize marijuana or whatever it is. When you have somewhere that does legalize marijuana, does any of this come true? Does everyone start turning into lunatics, murdering each other and dying from smoking no, the, weed? No, the stats, like I don't have anything off the top of my head, but like the stats are always nearly better. You know, like Portugal decriminalized all drugs like a number of years ago and like the... The, the rates of stuff have, haven't gone up like they've probably gone down because you know it creates an industry around uh, people knowing what they're consuming it cuts out um, any of the middlemen who like mess the stuff up it, it creates a pure industry and um, people start to re-empower themselves around knowledge of how much to take yeah. how much is too much uh, countries like Switzerland who um, have injection clinics and stuff for people who are hooked to opioids, you know, they've they've shown that the rates of, you know, uh, sepsis have gone down, the rates of wow. HIV transmission have gone down. When people go to those clinics, they then have, um, they have a point of contact. They have somebody who's there on the other side who's able to talk with them and say, like, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Do you need anything? You know, uh, trying to you know trying to reach people from a mental health services background rather than the criminal uh, justice background. You know, so yeah, like yeah, yeah. you know, I think in in Ireland it's it's horrible. Like walk down a Connell Street, walk down the Keys. You know, it's so sad to see so many people, uh, you know, addicted to some really horrible stuff. You know, and to have such terrible quality of lives where they have to share needles, where they have to sleep in doorways, and then somewhere in Switzerland where people are going in getting pure stuff, making sure that they have access to compassionate services, you know. So, you're like, for me, it just doesn't make sense when you think, like, why don't we have injection clinics in Ireland, like, you know, for those people? Like, uh, yeah. it's really sad, you know what I mean? When you you do this work and you're very compassionate, you walk down the road and you see, like, people suffering. It's like, that is so unnecessary, you know? And it's the same with homelessness for me, you know? Yeah, yeah. Being in town, you see, like, that is so unnecessary, you know? Like, why can't they convert some old buildings or, like you know, it's so easily fixed, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but who's going to make all the money off that is the obvious question. Then. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 the problem, you know. Um, and, yeah, I know things need to be done in a, in a correct manner and, you know, things have to be safe, but 
when the, the science starts to come out and the data shows um, X, Y, and Z, and when a country's like pushing back, you have to question that. Like, you know, why is that happening? Yeah. And that's what I was saying about, you know, at the start of the podcast around society, you have to question these things, you know. Why is marijuana being legalized in all the other countries, but not in Ireland, you know? Is it because like, uh, you know, Finn Fall and Finn Gale are being lobbied by the pharmaceutical industries, <laughs> like really intensely, just like the nicotine or the tobacco industry had such like power for so long, you know, and, you know, eventually, you know, that power was starting to be taken away. Yeah. It's the same with the sugar industry. It's the, the same, sugar, it's yeah. same with any industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're an industry, there's a board and someone's making money. Yeah. And, you, you know, like I'm in, I'm in the Netherlands a lot and I'm, I'm, I'm over in Amsterdam and the, the cafe culture there is beautiful, you know, people all sitting around chatting, laughing. Um, you know, it's 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 a, a cool space to be in because, like, you know, people are talking about like different strains and terpenes oh, yeah, and different yeah, yeah. ways to smoke it and different papers. And there's like a cannabis culture, you know, where people connect on a really positive level with regards to something that is natural from from the from the world. You know, it's a plant, literally. And the other thing you mentioned the word criminal there. The other thing about what we're doing at the moment is we're facilitating a criminal uh, pipeline of because people still want the experience. The people are still chasing the the drug or the plant medicine or and if it's illegal in your country, you're gonna to want to get it anyway. Mm -hmm. And you create a criminal supply then. So you're actually facilitating something quite negative. And I mean we won't go too deep into it, but there, then there's all sorts of connections with where that money's going and what it's being used for and how it's linked with other kind of underground trafficking and stuff like that. It creates a really seedy underground around something which could have so much benefit. Yeah. It's nuts like. Yeah. And a lot of people who like you know, die from uh, bad drug experiences because of like the substance that they're getting isn't what they think it is, or it's a way higher dose, or it's cut with something. Yeah. You know, um. So, uh, you know, if if you're going to a shop and you know, like I had the experience in Canada, where you go in, it's almost like a, you know, a pharmacy, and they yeah, like, tell you yeah, this yeah. is this, the X, Y, and Z, and give you the knowledge and the resources to be able to do it safely. Then, like, I think a lot of those fatalities wouldn't happen. You know, um, and as well around like to use marijuana for example like the different strains that are being pumped out there and sprayed with chemicals to yeah. make them stronger and like that's why people are having like these terrible experiences on them like paranoia and schizophrenia and psychosis because of what they're being given is like being is the 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 crap you know what i mean where if you talk to any like person who's passionate about cannabis they never go near any of that stuff you know they'd always go for like organic uh, growing stuff that they yeah. know exactly what the content is and it's been not sprayed with any chemicals and you know so oh yeah I really feel that it's like a lot could be a lot could be done very easily to reduce fatalities and to help yeah to ultimately help people you know if they want to have these experiences or around like self-medicating you know like people why do yeah. people use these substances because they have pain it could be arthritis it could be glaucoma uh, or they also have trauma that they're using it as an escape or, a, to, you know, to feel good for uh, self-medicating, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think just something came into my head there, which is really interesting. We were talking there. This is coming. It will be legalized at some point, hopefully. But even the, the manner in which that happens is important because I, I don't know why McDonald's jumped into my head. But imagine a big conglomerate started to, OK, there's a market for marijuana. We're going to create marijuana. They might just pump out the cheap shit that's fucking fertilised and sprayed to, to be we still mightn't be getting the good stuff just because it's coming from a big company I think about McDonald's food good organic natural local food is good for you if you consume it in the right way mm. 
but you can still go and get McDonald's, which is still food, which is a legal giant corporation which pumps out, we know, sorry, McDonald's, food that's not good for you if consumed the wrong way. Like, oh, absolutely. It could be the same if we legalise, just legalise marijuana and a huge company, Marijuana Inc., comes along and they just create absolute bullshit. But that's what's kind of happening and that's why uh, a lot of the legislation is, uh, the, it's been dragged along, you know, it's because they're trying to put these power structures in place that, like, the contracts go to the right people and it's, like, kept within... The the in within the circles, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like for example, in Canada, I think Marlboro have like marijuana cigar or marijuana smokes now and stuff like that. You know, so there's the tobacco industry trying to get in on it. Uh, yeah. And it's the same with you know I follow a lot of the psychedelic space, psilocybin. People are trying to patent it now. There's only certain companies, or, you know, there's only certain companies who are, you know, their protocol is going to be the only protocol as allowed to be done. And then you know they get kickbacks from that and they get cut in it. So there's like, you know, there's a lot of stuff kind of going on in the psychedelic space around who owns psychedelics, who owns psilocybin, yeah. you know, uh, who has the right to administer it, who has the right to give it, you know, like if, if it turns around in two or three years that only psychiatrists are allowed to administer psilocybin, then, you know, I can't do it. But like I've 10 years experience doing it. They've never even tried it, you know, and they're telling people what like that they can do it and how, it, how it's going to be and stuff like that. So, yeah, you know, yeah. all of these kind of Jesus. arguments are happening now in the field as well around, you know, like shamans who've been, you know, they've been indoctrinated into that through their culture. They've been working with these substances for like 40 years. And, you know, in the eyes of the Western medical model, like they're doing it illegally and it's not the right way. And that like this new protocol that has been developed in the last two years yeah. is the right way to do it, you know. So, you know, there's definitely battles going on. Um, and, you know, I'm so in the bubble, so I, I hear them and I see them. Um, but it's a it's an interesting space to, to be to be in in the moment because of um there's n there's no precedent, you know what I mean? Like who who's the right to teach it, you know? Yeah. But, you know who's the expert? Who who are the experts? Like they're they're only forming in the last number of years, but there are a lot of people have been working with this for like thousands of years, you know what I mean? And yeah. we can learn from them and that's a big part of the work is, you know, learning from them and then making it our own and not just culturally appropriating practices from somewhere else, but trying to figure out, okay, what's what's true for us, you know what I mean? And coming up with something that works for the, the Western mind, the Western psyche, um, but also being humble and offering thanks and humility for the people who've carried this wisdom for, for so long. Yeah, yeah. So for, for anyone who's listening, who has loved everything that you've set up on this point, and then we hit them with a hammer at the end there, but there's some bad stuff out there too. What, what's a good place to start exploring? this world and mm -hmm. um, because there are there are places you can go and there's things you can read and there's videos you can watch that don't necessarily have your best interests mm -hmm. front and center where would you recommend that if someone wants to start in this journey of exploring this if, if something has resonated with them about psychedelics or self-work or anything like that where's a good place to kind of start with all this kind of stuff because i was fine that's a barrier for most people yeah where do i go i don't want to take off all my clothes and go sit in the beach <laughs> in the circle. yeah true um yeah there's lots of different resources and lots of different books out there um what's the best way Mm. I did put you on the spot there. Didn't yeah, mind. yeah, this is good. coming up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, there's like there's there's lots of you know big names in the field. I've been working with this stuff for for a long time. Um, you know, Rick Doblin with Maps with MDMA, Stanislav Grof with LSE Holotropic Therapy. Um, there's you know um, James Fadiman microdosing. Um, so there's loads of great books out there. Michael Pollan's How to Change Your Mind. Yeah, that's probably that's probably one of the the biggest books in the last number of years that okay. has really changed public opinion because he had such an influence over a 
lot of Americans and you know a lot of people come over retreats have read that book and said like this is what I want the same experience as him or I want wow, that so okay. you know that book he just brought out another book there recently Your Your Mind on Plants or something I think it was called um, but it, yeah it's about you know finding yeah, finding people in the in the field that you resonate with, you know, like I do a course on microdosing now, I do a course on magic mushroom psilocybin, you know, how to pick them, how to grow them, how to consume them in, in the right in the right way. So, you know, there's plenty of courses out there that you can do. Our course that's going to be on in the winter now, the 10 week introduction yes. to psychedelic therapy, like that is like going to be the, the, the baseline for a lot of people. You know, if they want to work with themselves, even if you have no psychedelic experience, you don't have to be involved in psychedelics or in a mental health professional to do it. It's open to everybody. Um, and of course, there's other courses. There's lots of, you know, different organizations out there. Uh, MAP, Speckley Foundation, Hefter Institute um, that have a lot of resources of literature. Um, I'm in the, in the process of trying to make a resource page on my, on, on my website. So, you know, people can always check that out. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to throw up a lot of these links up on my website as well under the podcast too so if people are listening they can go and they can check it out they can follow you and all that kind of uh, stuff yeah. yeah awesome and you know I'm in the process of trying to write a book around stuff so you're in the book jeez yeah, good man you kept yeah. that quiet yeah well it's like slowly coming together you know okay. um, I haven't been putting full energy into it yet but like it's something it has to be something around you know how to do these things in the best possible way like a short manual or something you know okay um, on uh, psychedelic stuff specifically yeah on psych and then there's one on men's as well so brilliant amazing <laughs> but now I need to pick one to start off with yeah 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 and then yeah so it's you know it's it, it's for me like I have so many things going on and so things so many things I'm so passionate about just trying to find the time to do them all and then running retreats and yeah. you know living my own life and uh, doing all the wonderful things that are happening in my life you know so um, but you know there's a need you know in the men's work there's a need for education in the psychedelic spirit there's a need for education so um, trying to educate people and help people um, as best I can, you know what I mean, in terms of the content that I put out, stuff that I put on my page when I can. Um, you know, even like even the other week, I was like, oh God, I'm going to have to start doing little videos now, aren't I? Oh no. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but uh, it's just trying to find the time to do that. And same with the podcast, like I was talking to you, I want to start a podcast and yeah. uh, just be some more of my own ramblings and then bring in other people who also deserve platforms as well. And I love that about your podcast. I was just looking at people are on it and they're not like the dude with like 70,000 followers, you know, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. you know, a lot of people are getting more of a platform for, but there's like ordinary people out there doing really great work that just don't have presence, you know what I mean? Or don't have the platform. So, you know, uh, getting in touch with more of those people, I think is going to be key, you know, because there's some great teachers out there. Yeah. There's some great wisdom keepers, even in our own country. Like, oh us, yeah, big time. you know, like old, the older generations who've been kind of forgotten, they have great wisdom, you know, they're great insights. So, um, yeah, just trying to amalgamate all that stuff together in a package for people. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of like the plans over the next the next while. A lot of energy is going into the the online uh, course in September, so um, yeah. that's going to be uh, pretty big for us. And it's going to be uh, hopefully, we'll, you know, anybody who's like you know interested in walking on that journey of even just altered states of consciousness and self development work. You know, I'm I'm going to have a module on science and personal development on spiritual development with with psychedelics. So, you know. It's it's great to see people like going down the breathwork path, going down the yoga path, going down the meditation path, going down the psychedelic path, you know, and like we were talking about earlier, there's lots of different paths and people are going to be drawn to one. But with the psychedelic one, there's there's not so much like there for people to go down, you yeah. know, so we're trying to create that avenue where people can, you know, uh, be fully informed, you know, so it's uh, it's really great to be to be able to give back and to do that. 
Yeah, well, what's overwhelmingly evident to me, and I think to anybody who follows you or, or is involved in some way in, in your journey, is that you're creating that safe space. Mm-hmm. You really are creating that safe space for people. Even if it's, they just watch, look at it, read a post on your Instagram, sitting by themselves in their living room, and they get something from that. You are creating, using modern tools, and you talked about podcasting and video and all that kind of stuff. You're creating the, the doorway. You're showing people, you can come in here, you can start to think about this stuff, you can, you can talk about this stuff. But on the other side of that door, where you actually have a huge system that mm-hmm. you're now building. And I know it's a journey for you because like you kindly mentioned my podcast there. This is my form of trying to facilitate that for people as well. I'm on my journey. I'm in my infancy compared to a lot of people on my journey. But I've started and I, I feel so empowered now that I want other people to hear this podcast. And mm-hmm. I don't care about the like. That's what you mentioned, the likes. And stuff. I don't it doesn't. I know it's important to understand that stuff to run a business mm-hmm. and get your message out there because that's just how we communicate nowadays. Yeah. No one reads, <laughs> no carrier pigeons. There's Instagram and then all the little offshoots off Instagram. And I understand that. So we play the game or whatever. But for me, it's about facilitating. It's about being able to say, like I've, the last, I don't know how long we're going, is it three hours? It's been so powerful for me on my own journey. I'm going to buzz off this for, not just today, for months and months and months. I'm going to come back and listen to it. And I want to be able to do that for other people. So, I mean, you're facilitating stuff for me, for everybody who listens to you. You're, you're giving options. I'm trying to do my own version of that. I'm not an expert in a field, so I'm not building those kind of systems, but maybe this kind of platform and helping people run their own podcasts and stuff like that. So it, this network, it's, it's such an honor for me to sit here and, and listen to you. Oh, and have a conversation with you. I'm definitely you're going to see my name pop up on all your courses now in the, in, <laughs> in the next couple of months. Um, it's it's been really really a powerful experience for me to hear from someone who's so experienced. Even though you're only 32, we're very young men, uh, but you're so experienced in from a, a life point of view, and from you, you've got the the data, the knowledge, and the numbers to back this kind of stuff up. You're the kind of person I feel is going to have such an influence over the next decade, 20, 30, 40, 50 years in how. I'm only going to talk about Ireland because I know Ireland, I live here, I'm Irish, and how we reshape and re-empower ourselves, reclaim our community and our identity and our spirituality and our Mm -hmm. sexuality and all these different things we talked about. I think you're going to have a massive, massive influence. I'm really excited to see the next one year, 10 years of your journey. Um, And I just want to say on behalf of me and the listeners, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. I really, really appreciate the words. Good for me to hear too, you know, because I also have all the self-limiting beliefs. Oh, 100%. You're probably going to walk out and have an anxiety attack in the car as I am when you leave. Oh, fuck, anybody like it. So much pressure. Um, I know, but... You know, I, I, I think like at the end of the day for me, I want, you know, we have a great country, we have wonderful men, we have wonderful women and like it's up to us to create the society that we want, yes. to the Ireland that we want, you know. Um, and you know, I think it's totally possible now, you know, with the, the amount of people that are walking this path and on the journey, you know, of uh, spiritual self-development, um, personal development, whatever whatever way you want to you yeah. put it. So. Um, yeah, I'm really excited, you know, even after doing the men's retreat and the mixed retreat there a few weeks ago, just to see the change in people and to know that it, it can happen, you know, yeah. um, and it's happening in my life and my life is constantly f- fluxing and changing. And I'm really excited for what's next for me as well, too, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. One, one big message take from all of this is nobody is going to do it for you. Yeah, exactly. We have yeah. to do it ourselves. Yeah. You have to do it. I have to do it. We all have to do it. It's not going to be done for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. So thanks for having me on. And uh allow me to get my message out and if anybody wants to come on the introduction to psychedelic therapy uh training program they can have 10 percent off using primal podcast oh you're very good thank you very much appreciate that Um, and just for anybody who wants to find you who wants to follow you who wants to keep in touch maybe wants to get in contact where's the best place for them to go 
Yeah, I suppose Instagram. I'm on that most most of the time at Dar Stewie, uh, S T E W Y. So um, my personal website is innerwork.ie. Uh, the retreat in the Netherlands is inwardbound.nl. So you know, there's loads of information on up, up and all those um, uh, websites, and then I have a mailing list, so you can find that in my my link tree. Join the mailing list, and I send out not so often, but <laughs> I try not to spam people. But like any events are coming up, yes. uh, mental health workshops. Uh, men's circles, mixed circles, retreats. So, yeah, probably just sign up to one of the email lists and you'll you'll get all the good content. Amazing. Yeah. I'll get you to send me all those links as oh, well. Yeah. I'll cool. put them all in the show notes and stuff like that. Mr. Dara Stewart, Dara Stewie, thank you so much for your time. Gromor, Gromil Maga, thank you. <laughs> well, guys, that is an episode to listen to a few times. Definitely one to go back to in the future. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you'd like to follow the show or get notified about any upcoming episodes, you can follow us on Instagram at Primal Pro, and all of the information about today's episode will be available on our website at www.primal.ie forward slash Dara Stewart. I will see you in the next episode.